Why, Jeremiah, I have a question for you. Yeah. Why are zombies so bad to hang out with? Why is that, Andrew? Because they're such dead company. Ha, ha, ha. everyone, welcome back to another Halloween special-tastic episode of Empire Radio. I'm Jeremiah. I'm Andrew. I'm Drew. And we are back, not only with a Halloween spectacular, spooktacular special, but it's also an EU with Andrew episode tonight. <laughs> That's really loud, Drew. Wow, we're, um, we're partying it up. Okay. But yeah, so you're getting... A double feature, double whammy. Double whammy. Whatever you want to call it tonight. Our Heck boy yeah. Andrew's here. And he's Get been, pumped. He's been excited for this episode for a while. Get pumped. So I, I approached the boys back in 1842 about this one and have been waiting <laughs> eagerly for it. To, no, uh, but I did bring it up like, I don't know. It was like a few, it was a few months ago. Right. I mean, we've been talking about. Well, yeah, because it, it was one of the things that we wanted to do. And then I was like, now's the time. Halloween's coming. Halloween's upon us. It's the perfect time. Yeah. So. But before we uh, jump into the presentation that yeah. Andrew has for us, I have a Q&A from, on Spyway from last week that I like, this is our Halloween special, so I'm going to do a Halloween-focused question. So all I, I asked, what is your favorite thing about Halloween and have a favorite Halloween memory? So we got some answers. Uh, Dazdor says, Candy, my Darth Maul costume with double retractable saber blades was his one of his yeah. memories, and I was a happy kid. So there's that. Garrett that says, lightsaber I- was so cool because you, you would spin it, and when you spin it, because it's a good trick, the blades would fly out. It wasn't quite as like the, the Darth Maul is like standing there, and he just holds it steady, and then that happens, but it was pretty cool. Right. Uh, Garrett says, when I was 10, I dressed up as a clone trooper and my best friend dressed up as a stormtrooper, and neither of us knew we liked Star Wars at the time. We had a full on battle the whole night. That's a cool, <laughs> well, that's thing. A cool one. Uh, Connor says another, okay, this is to a previous Q and a, but another unrelated, uh, the most powerful force ability would be Shatterpoint. This is an ability only Mace Windu had, and it was broken. Look into it. P.S. Go Pit and Fills or Fit and Fills. Are they in the playoffs or something? Who is that? I don't. I don't do sports. Connor. So. No. What is what is Pit and Fill? I don't know what that is. Fit. And I don't know fills. why, but it reminded me of Rocky. I'm saying is that are the Phillies in the playoffs? Oh, they were up until last night. And then my favorite answer to the question <laughs> uh, is from Elias. <laughs> he says, "My favorite thing." 
about Halloween is that strangers give me free candy. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> oh, yes. We miss you, bud. Dude, Elias is so Dude. cool. Yeah. He was at Empire Con, and he's he's cool. True. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, but that's what are what are your favorite Halloween memories? Um, I don't know. I feel like when I was a kid, way more kids went trick or treating than they do now. Yeah, it's not a it's not a big thing now. Like I remember when I was well, a kid, I could look up the street and there literally be hundreds of kids. Like you just look up the street and you see this this road is just covered with. It's like kids. that scene from Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like that. And I remember like maybe it was I was a kid and I was I just was hyperbolic in my memory. But like I feel like I filled up like an entire pillowcase with candy. I definitely got more candy as a kid. Like, but I you can just buy candy now. You know that, right? Like yeah, you just it's not the same, though. Like Leah said, free candy. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Strangers. That's true. That's true. Like, but Stephanie bought like our candy to give out. Dude, that's what you do. You're like, like two weeks ago, and I've been eating for. That's yeah, that's why you don't you do just, that. That's <laughs> they put candy out in in August. They know yeah. that people are not going to save those bags for two. They months. know that the like, Drews and the Andrews of the world are here to go buy all the Reese's. Why did you buy it? She's like, it's on sale because they've already switched over to Christmas now. Yeah, at Target, and I was like okay and then she took it out of the bag and put it in the bowl and i was like girl you're, and, you're and, messed well up. You i mean that, that's that's, that's fair was, game what what candy is it it was like reese's kit kat oh it's the good like, bag not oh. even that and then the other bag she got was sour patch kids Ooh, and like GG. all the different variety of sour patch kids and andrew GG. you know we like our gummies so yeah, it was just oh, like yeah. i was like girl you dumb mess up yeah and so we've been eating she's like stop eating all the candy i'm like just what act like Miles is coming trick-or-treating. Well, the thing is, we're... And you just she, eat the candy. She's trying this year. She's going to put it outside with the sign. Oh, that's the why. And we'll see what happens. Because we're not going to be home. Because we go to our, our her sister's house. Just take it there. And f- that's what I said. But she's like, I want to feed the, the neighborhood. And the, One kid's going to come and dump the whole bowl. I know it. Yeah. And we're going to get on Ring, and it's going to... yeah. <laughs> and then you'll have a viral video you can post on Reddit, and yeah. Well, and you know, Ring has it where you can add uh, sounds. Yeah. And so, like, you can do spooky sounds of, like, witches. Yeah. So, like, she had a pr- she has a program now, so it says, please take one, oh, or you'll... Gosh. Die. Get- yeah, something weird. So um, it's kind of cool. But then... you see that Ring is doing... Speaking of spooky Ring things, you see that they're doing a... a- Basically, they're having people around the world try to prove aliens are real. They're like paying if you get like, yeah, legit. They're they're doing a thing that it's like if you get legit footage, which I don't know how they're going to verify that. Probably send it to Corridor. But anyways, if you get (laughs) or some other VFX artist, uh, it's like it's like multiple thousands of dollars. It's like a sweepstakes or something. But it has to be like legit, unexplainable, like not. You throw it into After Effects and put some stuff okay, in but it. But how many ring cameras are facing up to the sky? Well, I mean, they I mean they have a pretty wide angle lens. But it's not yeah. up though. No, but if if it's off, aliens yeah. can walk on the ground too. Like. Well, that's true because the, the true. it's funny you the say that because the example Mexico. the example on the the <laughs> like the the post is an alien like walking across the yard. It's like 
now the aliens are going to know. They're okay, not going to walk across I'm the definitely going to submit mine on Halloween with all the alien Dude, freaking everyone's going to do something on Halloween, yeah. guarantee it. But, no, okay, so my favorite was yeah. when me and Steph did Trunk or Treat. Uh-huh. And we, my trunk of my Mustang, we got, like, small TIE fighters and stuff. And we hang them down so they looked like they're flying. And we yeah. had the whole thing look like a star blanket. Yeah. And then me and I was Boba Fett and she was a stormtrooper. Nice. That was, that was, that was really a long fun. time ago. Did that before you were married? No. Uh, I don't think so. That's a good question, Jeremiah. I don't know. I think it might have been before you were married because it was like she didn't know you were a big Star Wars fan at that point or something like that. Well, she knew by then, but... Yeah, I mean, when he asked her to be a stormtrooper, that was a pretty good indication of she definitely did his intentions. more of that kind of stuff with me then, though. She would definitely stop doing cool stuff like that when we got married. So I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> she was just trying like, to pull yeah, you in when you. I, yeah, when I was like, I, she did. She's like, yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. Like, yeah, she's like, I'm trying to get a ring on this finger. I gotta yeah. dress up as a stormtrooper. <laughs> never do that <laughs> now. <laughs> like, it would have to be like. The point where Miles is like asking her, "Can we dress up together, Mom?" Only like, a few more years. Like, but first but, it'll be like Paw Patrol or something. So, GG, Woody, <sighs> dude. Yeah, Miles got into Paw Patrol over the weekend, and now that's his favorite thing. And it's so it annoying. could it could be worse. It could be Coco Melon. Uh, it was for a while. Oh, like he used to call it watermelon, so it was kind of cute. Yeah, like, then, you turn it, then you then you turn it on, and you want to punch a hole in the fabric of space and time. Yeah. That and baby so. shark. Oh, we, we did a baby shark theme birthday party for him. That's, like, that's fantastic. Shark, shark, shark. Oh boy, but he loves turtles. Ninja turtles is his favorite. That's good. He's gonna uh, be Raphael for Halloween. Speaking of dressing up for Halloween, um, I have a I have a somewhat sad memory, Halloween memory, at the very first like trunk or treat event I ever went to, I was like, I don't know. It was like three or four at our church growing up. Some, then one of the trunk or treats back then it was like, or it was like a fall festival. He's so much younger like, than us. Remember was, Jeremiah. I'm not that much younger, but anyways, <laughs> so it was an outdoor thing in the parking lot. We were doing something. I did. I don't remember. We were doing something. You're and, okay. and then this guy decided it would be a good idea. I don't even remember who it was. To show up in, you know, those big, like, full-body gorilla costumes? Yes, the cool ones. That stuff won't let me get. Yep. It's probably good. He showed up in a pink one. Oh, cute. And it scared me, like, really bad. And from then until I was, like, old enough to see that it wasn't, that was pretty irrational, I was afraid of, like, mascots and, like, dressed up. I was afraid of mascots. Yeah. Because his... Uh, uncle last year was a giant uh not spongebob what's the other one the pink one why am i blinking out patrick patrick yeah patrick he he was patrick but he has like the blow-up one so it's like oh yeah that'll do it (laughs) miles was so scared of it and so yeah he's scared of mascots he likes them from afar but when they get close he like yeah that was the same that was the same thing for me yeah like they look Um, cool and then they get close and he's like nope but one of my favorite Halloween memories, uh, other than eating Halloween candy year round with y'all when we first started Empire Radio, uh, out of that bucket was probably binging the Halloween movies for the first time 
with my in-laws because I'd, I'd never like I wasn't into scary movies when I was growing up and uh, I still have never seen those movies they're not for kids well obviously but they're I like uh, they're scary uh, movie the scary like movies are the scary movies the freak the comedies yes oh, the parodies they're so funny those, those movies are freaking <laughs> there's something else anyways Halloween there you go uh, so I have a story for y'all drew this, this will, uh, entice you, especially. So, uh, we went, my wife and I went to get Crocs. America, let's go. Hard. I got the echo, the echo clog. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, so we, we, we wanted to get a pair of Crocs. It's the first Crocs I've ever had. And I wanted to give them a shot. So we go to this mall and we're walking around. And out of nowhere on the second level, I see this like, I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like something, the name of it was something synonymous with like vintage collectibles. I was like, well, I got to go check that out. And I'm walking by and I see up in the window that they had like a Kenner. It was like the old action figure carriers. They had like the Darth Vader and the the C-3PO ones, but it was like Mm -hmm. a re-release, but it was a re-release from like the early nineties, I think, because it wasn't new, but it wasn't like the original. And I was like, oh, they, they've got Star Wars stuff. So I go in and there's an entire wall full of like Star Wars, like random Star Wars toys and collectibles. And it was like all legit vintage stuff. Like some of it was from like the early 2000s or like the Attack of the Clones era, but it was like all fresh inbox. Like they had purchased them from people. You didn't film it? So we can cut to that clip right now? No. no i wish but they had a display case in the middle of it all that had they had a set of general grievous statues that that are like they're like gentle giant level oh wow like super nice centerpieces one was like three feet tall one was like a solid foot tall and then there was a miniature one Mm -hmm. and they ranged from like i think the the smallest one was like a hundred something bucks and then the biggest one was like 600 but they were like extremely high quality. But then they had this stormtrooper from a series. It was like uh, Legions of the Ga- Galaxies, Legions or Legions of the Galaxies. And, and it was like a line that they did on different trooper types. So it's like a 12 inch like figure, I guess. But it's more, it, it was, it's so, it was so artistically done that it was basically a centerpiece. Like you would display this and it was like 300 bucks. Super cool. And then I look across and the other half of the store, they had a bunch of other collectibles. And then the other half of the store was like comic books and like trading cards and stuff. But then above they had, I don't know what the name of the line is, but they had a line of collectibles that are the original Kenner action figures, but in vinyl figure form. And they're like a foot tall. So it's like it's like the same idea. You know those bears? There's like super collectible like yeah, yeah, yeah. teddy bears that people buy for thousands what, of dollars. What are those called? I saw someone bought one the other day for like $600. Yeah, they're super expensive. But it's the same idea. It's like a vinyl collectible vinyl figure. The big but ones. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've but it's like that. an original it's they're molded after the Kenner figures. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. they come with a big card back. So it's like you're looking yeah. at the original action I, figure. I know what you're talking about. So I look up and they have Boba Fett. Did you get it for me? No. Oh. It was $250. Oh, God. I almost did. I, not for you. I almost bought it for me. Oh. But, I mean, it, it's huge. Like, I would have to, like, I don't know where no, I would no. put it. I, I've seen them because they had the Mando one. Yeah. 
but they're like super big and it came with like the little the little jetpack uh rocket which ended up being like the size of my fist and then they had some of the uh unleashed centerpiece figures do you remember those Mm -hmm. they were like super dynamic and like really like detailed and stuff they had some of those but i was like i was thinking about getting that boba fett and then my wife was like you can get that or you can build a lightsaber when you go to disney and i was like yeah it's just get it and you bought it no no, no I'm, I'm saving for a life that's cool so anyways so fun oh, fun story from over the weekend it's catching up with andrew right there a new segment yep lots Your of money i didn't have fall asleep but we're here for the <laughs> halloween special we are and we're covering death troopers which Heck is yes. well i'll let andrew go ahead and explain Yes. All right. We're here. E with Andrew. We're doing Death Troopers. I've been wanting to do this for a while. This is uh, one of my favorite EU books by a pretty, pretty good amount. Um, I will say this right out of the gate. The, the content in this book is it's pretty heavy. Like it's, it's, not, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, there are some pretty mature themes of like life and death in this book. This is like, as far as star Wars books are concerned, this is probably one of the most emotionally charged and heavy, like emotionally heavy books I've ever read by far. So I would not recommend it for young kids. I was going to say, we probably should do a disclaimer. on. Yeah, I would, I would not recommend it for young kids. Uh, the, the format of this, of tonight's episode is going to be part me kind of walking through it. Normally, like I, I do a topic and it's like I have bulleted points about how to explain things. But like with a story like this a book, yeah, with with a book, like it basically I'm, I, you have to tell the story. Like that's really the best way to convey what happens. And so I'm going to be doing a combination of like r- just reading general story points, which will be in the presentation. But I'm also going to be reading directly from the book because there are certain uh, e- there's certain emotional things that really they just need to be read like it would not it wouldn't do the moments justice for me to just be like and then this happened and then just breeze over it um so there there will be some some graphic depending on your definition of the word graphic but relatively graphic descriptions of things uh lots of talk of death uh some some very depressing some zombies you know there's zombies uh it's a it's a very heavy book which is one of the reasons why i like it but uh, so just just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, I did my best to to kind of dull things down a little bit, but in the moments where I'm reading from the book, obviously I'm reading straight from the book. So um, if I, you're young, I like this EU with Andrew huh? because I can chime in if you forget anything because I've also read this. Yeah. Book. So this is this is one of the times that Drew, you just finished this like a few weeks ago. Yesterday. Oh, sick. <laughs> I read it twice in preparation for this, and I finished it today because uh, I did a I did a read through where I was just reading it, and then I did a read through where I've got I just I have like f- how many pages of notes? I have sixteen pages of notes. All right, but did you ever listen to the audiobook the second time? Yes, no, well, not the second time, but I, I listened to the audiobook one of the first times I read it a few years ago. Bro, so good. Yeah, it's re- it's it's really good. So. Just a disclaimer, if you're young, you're easily scared, you're easily grossed out, this might not be an episode 
you would want to listen to. But if you're not, this is going to be really fun, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and dive in. Yep. So if you're listening to the audio version, there will be a presentation version on YouTube when that's up. So if you want to watch the presentation as you follow, follow us on the YouTubes. All right. Yep. All right. We good. Can you see my screen? Yes, Yes, sir. All right. So we're just going to go ahead and dive in. So I'm just, just a heads up. I'm not really going to be able to actually no. I can do this. I can see the chat this way. Um, so yeah, uh, this is this is one of my favorite books. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, this is the equivalent of a Star Wars zombie movie. And you know what? We've recently got Star Wars zombies. In we canon. So in canon. So it, it's it, this is a very different experience. And True, I and I, th- I think I think help. it's worth I think it's worth mentioning right now, like that was a that was a fun experience. But those zombie troopers, they didn't try to eat Sabine and Ahsoka. They were, well, just, trying to, they were just trying killing, to fight. That one killing Sabine and had her choked. He was just trying to he was just trying to choke her out. No, he was yeah, he, he, yeah. Was, he was snapped. But yeah. like, think about Drew the hallway scene where they were trying to fight the stormtroopers, but it was oh, the, yeah. the zombies from the book. They all would have died. True, but because we got zombie troopers in Star Wars, yeah, I'm leaning more towards this could be canon. Oh gosh! So here's the thing: there's a, there's you don't have to you don't have to go very far on the internet for this, for this book to be talked about as like a what if like what if they made a movie, like this needs to be brought into canon as like a it's just like a just a one off movie, and like there's no way. No way they would be able to avoid an R rating. There's absolutely well, that's why they should do it as a but, that, but that's also why they won't do it because Disney's not not under Disney. No way. Hey, they did Winnie a Pooh, dude. No, <laughs> no, that's no. Anyways, all right. I would try to watch that, dude. I couldn't get past two minutes of this. I heard that movie was absolutely terrible. It's so but, terrible. Apparently, it's good, but I couldn't get to that point. Yeah. So anyways, let's just go ahead and dive in. Why, for those of you that are still here, uh, which by the way, I, I'm not able to see the chat. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it. So if anybody has any questions or comments, y- y'all, just, y'all just let me know. Well, just um, say it in the chat and me and Jeremiah will do our best. To yeah. Tell you. So why is this book that I've now given a disclaimer for, why is it worth a read? So I mentioned that this is Star Wars Zombies. One of my favorite things about a, a really good zombie movie, like World War Z, Train to Busan, the Ooh. first one. Not as much the second one, but the first one. Kingdom. Yes, th- same thing. The, one of the things that I love about a really good zombie story is the buildup, right? Because as the audience, you know something that the characters in the media do not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to go... Like if you go see Train to Busan, you're gonna see zombies on the the poster. The you know what you're getting. Yeah, the characters don't know there's gonna be zombies, but at every like little noise and stuff, you're like, "What is, is like is it time? Are they coming?" You know, like you, I love that payoff of like the moment, and it's the same thing with disaster movies for me too, in a different way. But it's a similar feeling of like you get to watch things build up to a point where they fall apart, 
and you watch the characters go through it. This book does that incredibly well. So good. Like you would think reading a book, it wouldn't hit the same way as a story that you would watch in the movie. This has all of the, all of the buildup in, in such a freaking good way. And I think that it hits on another thing that's like another layer deep. When you're in the movie and you're expecting something that the character isn't, a lot of times directors will like fake you out, right? Mm-hmm. So like you'll, they'll be like a, they'll be walking through like a dark hallway and there's like a wrench or something in it and it falls and you're like, oh, is this the zombies? And like as an audience, you're like, is this the moment? But like the main characters don't really know, but you do. It's like this, this underlying level of like playing with the audience. This book, this book does that too. It's so well written. Yeah. And it, yeah. it could easily make a movie out of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it, it captures the vibe, excuse me, the vibe of a zombie movie in written form better than any other thing that I've ever experienced. Um, I will say the another reason why this is worth a read, I mean, obviously, it's Star Wars. Star Wars zombies, fantastic idea in general. But it's just written really, really well. Like the way that Joe Schreiber, that's his name, the way he communicates emotion, the way he incorporates cliffhangers and and breaks in, in the stories, and it's just it's so so well written. Didn't like, he go off and write some pretty heavy, like scary books? Yeah. He also wrote Star Wars Red Harvest, which yeah. I'm also reading. I went to Barnes and Noble and picked that up. I've, I, that's next on my list. Maybe. I almost surprised y'all. I almost did that one instead. Oh, that would have messed me up. <laughs> but here's but here's the. I think emotionally, this one hits way harder because of who the main character in this one is. Yeah, you like really get inside the, the character's head. Whereas what in Red Harvest, it, like in Red Harvest, it's like a Sith. Uh, acolyte training camp and like yeah i mean like it's got some of the same elements of like gore and stuff but it's like also the force is involved and it's just like it doesn't feel the same you don't feel the same level of hopelessness if that makes sense whereas like he done any canon books no not that i'm uh no he did mall lockdown good but that's not canon i've actually read that book i haven't read that one yet and when was this book written it was uh, released in October of 2009. Okay. Why did it seem yeah. older than that? Well, so I, I read somewhere it was 2003, but... Should say in title page. Yeah, whatever. it's 2009. Maybe that's when he started it. 2003 when he started it. And Maybe, then... yeah. Uh, but I, I, why is it worth a read? Because it's it's zombie it's the zombie genre at its it's horror zombie stuff at its, it's finest in the Star Wars universe. Well, and and I think because it is well done, like the way you said, like you're reading it, and halfway through the book, the people characters that you're following still have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and then there, and then a it's lot just, of the characters that you get attached. Well, we'll get there. Yes, but it's. Th- this really book cool. doesn't pull any punches. I'll say it this way. Like there there are no punches pulled. So yeah. but I if, do encourage people to listen to audio. 
Yes, the audiobook very much elevates the experience of at least two or three times over for for me. So well done. Some high school should do this as a play. That'd be so dope. Uh, I don't know. Why not? Uh, Maybe a college. Oh, you'd have so have a, one heck of a special effects budget for this. Um, but it's also I I also enjoy kind of like emotionally heavier stories sometimes. Well, then like, you would love Lost Stars. It's a, it's a different. It's a no, different it's emotion. not. <laughs> but I, but I will say I will say that this book like really made me sad at times. Like. It, it 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 hits you. Anyways, so that's why it's worth a read. But uh, as Jeremiah, he asked, I was going to mention this anyways, but it was published in 2009. Uh, here's a, well, no, I'm not going to say that in advance. I do have a really fun trivia fact that I learned about in the process of making this presentation that we'll go over later. But I was, I was going to say it, and then I was like, nope, that's going to reveal, potentially reveal who survives, and I don't want to do that. So let's dive in to a very spooky EU with Andrew. Let's start with our characters, shall we? All right, so here's the thing. There is no visual media. No visual media for this. Uh, I, I had to kind of scour, almost all of this is fan art, except for the picture of the medical droid um, and the, the Zahara Cody thing, but we'll talk about that. So uh, shout out to the the... <laughs> the artists who did the fan art for Trig, Kale, and Jarrah Satoris. Uh, that's all fan art. And the Jarrah Satoris ones looks like it could be like Battlefront 2 or something. So Yeah, that looks cool. The other one. So uh, we have Trig and Kale Longo, two brothers. Trig is 13, almost 14. Kale, it never says how old he is, but it's speculated that he's like, he's the older brother. He's like 17 or 18. Yeah. He's not like an adult, but he's older than Trig. Like we have, or 19 or something like that. Like He's like a young adult, like high school, college age. Definitely has a lot of young mentality. Yeah, that's why I was like 17. I was yeah. feeling 17. Um, Jarrah Satoris, who is the captain of the guard above, or, or above, <laughs> the captain of the guard ab- aboard the prison barge, the Purge. So this takes place in part on an imperial prison barge. So he's captain of the guard. We have Zahara Cody, who is the chief medical officer above, um, among, I don't know why I keep saying above instead of among, uh, <laughs> aboard. They're all A words. She's the chief medical officer for the prisoners. So she runs the infirmary. And then we have Waste, who is a B-1-2 medical droid, or 2-1-B medical droid, excuse me. Uh, who is the main like n- nurse? You could think of him as like a, a souped-up nurse for Doctor Cody on the barge, the prison barge. Those are the characters you need to keep in mind. It's a very small cast. So, part one, the purge. So, uh, part ro- maybe you'll uh, get into this. This did you state uh, what time period this is like during? Great question. One BBY. Oh. Cool. Yep, this place this takes place right before a new hope. Did uh, they say but, that in the book? 
No, I looked that up on Wikipedia. I was going to say, I feel like they don't really mention the time. No, they don't. Uh, based on some of the characters later on, you know what I'm talking about. You know the characters I'm talking about. It's sure. it's very heavily implied that it's before A New Hope. And then I looked it up and they're like, one BBY. So I'm going with that. Part one, The Purge, takes place on the prison barge. All right, so uh, the format of this, these are just kind of main story points that I've very cleverly named because I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't want to put the story points on. Everyone's going to start reading ahead. Like the second I put those up, everybody's going to jump to the very bottom and be like, what happens next? I don't want that. So they're very cleverly named to keep me on track, to keep you interested, but to not give anything away. Except for me. Well, except for Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's worth noting that Two weeks prior to the beginning of this book, uh, Trigg and Kale's father is killed. He dies in the med bay. Um, he's he's murdered. <laughs> they they like to beat around it at, at the beginning. That it's, they, it's they like don't explain it very well until they later. don't, and they don't ever tell you how he's murdered, but they tell you who yeah. murders him. Yeah, and then they confirm it at the end. So he was murdered, basically. Um. So I'm going to read my first excerpt here to kind of set the stage. The nights were the worst. Even before his father's death, Trig Longo had come to dread the long hours after lockdown, the shadows and sounds, and chronically unstable gulf of silence that drew out in between them. Night after night, he lay still in his bunk, stared up at the dripping durasteel ceiling of the cell in search of sleep or some acceptable substitute. Sometimes he would actually start to drift off, floating away, in that comforting sensation of weightlessness, only to be rattled awake, heart pounding, throat tight, stomach muscles sprung and fluttering, by some shout or a cry, an inmate having a nightmare. There was no short of nightmares aboard the Imperial Prison Barge Purge. Trick didn't know exactly how many prisoners the Purge was currently carrying. He guessed maybe 500, human and otherwise, scraped from every corner of the galaxy, just as he and his family had been picked up eight standard weeks before. Sometimes the incoming shuttles returned almost empty. On other occasions, they packed. They came packed with squabbling alien life forms and alleged rebel sympathizers of every stripe and species. There were assassins for hire and sociopaths, the likes of which Trigg had never seen, thin-lipped things that cackled and sneered in seditious languages that, to Trigg's ears, were little more than clicks and hisses. Every one of them seemed to harbor its own obscure appetites and personal grudges, personal histories blighted with shameful secrets and obscure vendettas. Being cautious uh, became harder. Soon you needed eyes in the back of your head, which some of them actually possessed. Two weeks earlier in the mess hall, Trick had noticed a tall, silent inmate sitting with his back towards him, but watching him nonetheless with a single, raw red eye in the back of his skull. Every day, the red-eyed thing seemed to be sitting a little nearer. Then one day, without explanation, it was gone, except from his dreams. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So, pretty bleak, right out of the gate. So we have a 13-year-old, almost 14-year-old, and his brother. They, they were taken in, and, and the circumstances are never really fully explained, but they were they're doing something, and the Empire's like, you're not doing that, and they, they took them. They don't really explain. No. But that's the beauty of it. Is it? Yeah. Like, me. you don't, they, like, they don't over-explain they anything. <laughs> but, so anyways, but they're on the barge, and, and their father is killed two weeks prior, and now we're introduced to a very young boy and a slightly older brother, bless you. 
And my bad. they are now alone in a prison barge full of criminals, hardened criminals, killers, sociopaths, just like that is, that is a wild headspace for me to, to try to get into. Like imagine being 13 and you're trapped in a prison, but it's not like a, it's not like a, an earth prison. It's like the terrible inmates are also like scary looking and they have multiple arms and they could eat you in your sleep and all that. Like it's, it's crazy. They have multiple eyes. You're also floating. Like yep. you're not on a planet or you're in space in water. Yeah. You're in space. Um, taking us all the way back so yeah that they're they're heading to a remote penal moon which at, at one point is briefly mentioned as detention moon gradient seven but it's really never they never make it so it doesn't really matter but they're on their way to a penal moon to to be put in a, essentially in a labor camp uh and work uh for a living so pretty pretty bleak situation here um so uh, Trig wakes up basically and Kale comforts him. They have a moment where Trig can't go back to sleep and they comfort it. He comforts him. Um, and it says, sleep on it. He thought in that exact moment, miraculously, as if by the power of suggestion, sleep actually began to seem like a possibility. Trig lay back and let the heaviness of his own fatigue cover him like a blanket, superseding anxiety and fear. He tried to focus on the sound of Kale's breathing deep and reassuring in and out in and out <laughs> then somewhere in the depths of the levels an inhuman voice wailed trig sat up caught his breath and felt a chill tighten the skin of his shoulders arms and back crawling over his flesh millimeter by millimeter bristling the small hairs on the back of his neck over in his bunk the already sleeping kale rolled over and grumbled something incoherent there was another scream weaker this time trig told himself that it was just one of the other convicts just another nightmare nightmare rolling off the all-night assembly line of the nightmare factory but it hadn't sounded like a nightmare it sounded like a convict whatever life form it was was under attack or going crazy he sat perfectly still squeezed his eyes tight and waited for the pounding of his heart to slow down just please slow down but it didn't he thought of the thing in the cafeteria the disappeared inmate whose name he'd never known watching him with his red staring eye how many other eyes were on him that he never saw sleep on it but he already knew that there would be no sleeping here tonight. So yeah, it's uh, it's pr pretty messed up. So then the next morning, uh, they go to breakfast in the cafeteria, in the mess hall. Any questions in the uh, chat so far? Mm -mm. Nope. Just Will says I am so invested. Good. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's this is going to be a wild ride. So buckle up. Um, out of nowhere, uh, from the ridiculous to sublime, Trey found himself thinking about his father again. They're fine. This is that they're just, he's, he's sitting down to eat and he thinks about his father. That's what's happening. Uh, just before he passed away in the infirmary, the old man had reached up, clutched Trigg's hand in both of his and whispered, watch over your brother. Caught off guard, Trick had just nodded and stammered out that he would, and of course, he would. But soon after, he realized that his dad, in his final moments, must have been confused about which son he was talking to. There was no reason he'd ask Trig to look after Kale. It would be like assigning the safekeeping, safekeeping of a wampa to a Kowakian monkey lizard. 
So in his final moments, their dad, he looks at Trig specifically, this is important, and says, watch out to your brother. Um, this is something that I put down. Uh, he, he, uh, this is just a really good example of the way that Joe describes things. Uh, but it talks about the prisoners leaving, uh, the mess hall when the alarm sounds, they, they eat and the alarm sounds. And it says down below the prisoners sauntered in packs, muttering and laughing among themselves, deliberately dragging out the process, uh, as much as possible to exploit whatever small leniency the guards, small amount of leniency the guards granted them. There was a sticky smelling closeness to their unwashed bodies. And Trigg thought of the, pl- the phrase meat nest again and felt a little nauseated. This whole place was a meat nest. Fun though. This is a really good way. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of skip through this next little bit um, because it's not as incredibly important and I don't want to go too long. So you find out that Trigg's dad ran a business on the barge because uh, it does. They had been on there for a few months, so his dad had had died a few weeks prior. But they had been on there for a few months, long enough for his dad to set up an operation where he apparently sells weapons, like black market weapons. He gets a hold of them somehow. They store them like blasters and you know sh- prison shanks and stuff like that, and then they sell them to convicts who need them. Uh, and so with their father died, dead, uh, they go to meet with the leader of a gang to sell this, this leader uh, some stuff that they had. And they get there, and you're introduced to the character of I... And Drew, I don't... Do you remember how they pronounce his, they pronounce his name in the audiobook? Is it Armis? 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 Or miss, it's A U R M Y S S R R miss. Anyways, I think it's R miss. R miss. I don't yeah, remember. So he's a Delphinian, uh, and I looked up Delphinians. There's no images of them. Uh, so I guess that this was like a thing that they made for the novel. But he's a Delphinian. They did. They describe him some but like you don't really know what he looks like. Uh, but they, they get there, and he is not the person they were supposed to meet. Come to find out, the original leader of the gang was killed uh, pretty much by this new guy, Miss. And now the deal has, t- he has altered the deal. And he says, pray, you know, I don't alter it further. And basically he's like, no, you're going to give me the blasters and the power packs, and I'm not going to give you anything. Well, Kale has the bright idea to jump forward and uh, rip these piercings that he had hanging from his lips out of Mrs. Mouth in front mm-hmm. of him. And then in a moment of intense pain while he's distracted, the two boys run away, essentially. They're like, we got to get out of here. Uh, and then right at the very end of the sequence, you realize that all of a sudden, for the first time ever, because it talks about the consistent thudding of the uh, engines earlier in the book. Now you realize that the engines have gone completely silent for the first time. So as they're, as they're running, they run up this hallway, they like run into a corrections officer. And then in that moment, Trigg's like, wait a second, why have we stopped? It's super weird. Fun. Yep. So then we are introduced for the first time to Dr. Zahara Cody and her droid, her 21B medical droid, Waste. 
So we've been through a dead father breakfast and arms deals. We've hit on the eerie stillness, and now the doctor is in. So we're introduced to Zahara Cody. Um, and basically the thing about Dr. Cody is that she really cares for her patients, which you'd think is like, oh, that's great. Like, that's a normal thing, but it's not for the empire. <laughs> um, and she really cares about these inmates, a lot of which who use being sick, and I put this in air quotes, as an opportunity to not be in their cells. They go up and they fake illnesses and they get some time out. They talk to her. She's friends with some, well, I wouldn't say friends, but she's. She grows a, a attachment. Yeah. Kind of to yeah. To, to a few of them. Yeah. So you're introduced to her <clears throat> and how she runs things. She catches a Doug lying about him being sick in the moment, right at the beginning of the chapter. And it's kind of funny. Uh, then you're introduced to waste who is like, super cold and calculated he's he's a medical droid like in all of the literal senses of the words um but he has this kind of fun like dry humor character to him in 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 a certain way um but staff have a terrible um, on the prison barge have a terrible opinion of cody because all of the other staff are very straightforward classic imperials and they hate aliens and so because she has sympathy for these people, she's basically scum along with the rest of them. Like they talk about her behind her back, like they don't no trust one likes her. It. They don't trust her. Well, and we'll, we'll get to that later, but they have a terrible opinion of her. Um, I'm going to flip a few pages here. And I think a lot of that is too, because the whole point is these people are in prison and they don't care about the people that they're imprisoning. But she cares them about them because they're people in her mind. She just sees them as people. She doesn't see them as people that have created crimes or yeah. try to scam people or part of the rebellion. So she's trying to help them, and they're like, oh, "These people can die. We don't really care." So, yeah. Uh, the excerpt that I have, she, she's she's from a, a very rich uh, Karelian family. Uh, can y'all hear the sirens in the background? Uh, yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's LA fire department. Same, same thing every night wow. happens every night. Fun. Uh, but this excerpt says, yet here I am. Zahara thought queen of her own miniature kingdom. After all, duchess of the empty bunks and our lady of the perpetual stomach ache involuntary, <laughs> involuntary lust object of a hundred emotionally frustrated prison guards and deprived stormtroopers. Dispenser of medicine charged with keeping the inmates of the Imperial Prison Barge Purge alive long enough to be permanently detained on so, some remote prison moon. The irony, of course, is that in a standard week's time, or whenever the, they finally arrived at their destination, she would be going back to her father and mother, if not exactly hat in hand, then close enough. And then it talks about how basically uh, this career that she chose for herself would be something that their parents would basically laugh about and be like, Oh, look what our daughter did in her youth. She wasted her youth type thing to their rich and powerful friends. But she uh, had just recently resigned and she, at the end of this trip, in classic fashion, she's going to be done with her, her duties there. Fun. Yep. Uh, so then it talks uh, about how at the very end of this chapter, she realized that the engines had stopped and had been stopped for over an hour. And then one of the inmates says, Doc, are we there yet? And this time, Zahara didn't know how to answer the question. So 
a little bit of a cliffhanger, kind of that the mounting tension that, that we talked about. Uh, so then we're introduced to the captain of the guard, Jareth, Jareth Satoris. This guy sucks pretty much. Uh, he yeah. He's just, he's super selfish and he's like really mean and rough edged and like, he's like, you know, I, I don't remember specific movie examples, but there's in prison movies, there's always a guard that's just mean for the sake of being mean to the prisoners. That's him. Like this is this guy. Uh, but you also add in the layer of like, he really doesn't want to be doing his job too. So he's mean, but he doesn't really take any pleasure out of it. He's mean because he's unhappy with his life. It's just, yeah, it's, he's not a great guy. Um, cause I wrote, I wrote in here, introduce the Satoris and the fact that he sucks. LOL. I wrote that out <laughs> in, in, in my notes here. Um, so he gets called to the warden's office and the warden is described as basically this weasel spineless classic imperial who rose to power through his connections human being um he gets called to the warden's office and the warden's like hey we're seven days out we we, we have not made it yet um but uh our engines are dead they're completely dead and we're not moving anymore and that's why the prison barge stopped. So the engines just break. Like this is the equivalent of the horror movie moment where they break down on the side of the road behind, beside the cornfield. <laughs> and there's something, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this is what's happening. Uh, but the interesting thing is he says, actually though, we were, we were doing some scanning. We found a Star Destroyer in the system and we have enough power left in the engines to get us to a point where we can dock with the Star Destroyer. Sweet, right? We go aboard, get some parts, get some, you know, fix things up, and we're on our way. Um, except for the fact that there's no life forms aboard. It is completely empty. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, so Jeremiah, your they, face. Are they by like a planet? Like nope. an orbit around a planet or just in the middle of Nope. Derelict. Space? Ghost ship in the middle of space. I think it, I think they're like out near the unknown regions, but the, the setting isn't super important. The the thing that is really important is that a ship that can have a crew of upwards of ten thousand people completely deserted. Well, it has no life forms that they are picking up in there. Drew, I'm already putting things together. You don't. don't you, anyways, you, you you gotta you gotta let it you gotta let it go. Uh, so yeah, it's it's completely empty. And it's weird for them. I'll just say that. They're yeah. confused. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I, I apologize. Uh, the bioscans only read 10 or 12. Yes. But in a... Either way, it's in, basically zero. <laughs> but, but it's basically zero. He said, uh, perhaps, he said, how many is a handful? Um, and 10 or, uh, he said, 10 or 12. Sounds like a scanner issue. Destroyers can carry a crew of 10,000 or more. Thank you, Cloth, who is the warden, said dryly. I'm well aware of the standard Imperial specs. Sorry, sir. It's just either our equipment is undergoing some serious malfunction or dot, 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 or there's something else going on up there. It was the first time Satoris had spoken in the office because he was in there with a, a few of the other corrections officers. And he was surprised at the hoarseness in his voice, something that we don't want any part of. 
The others all turned and looked at him for what felt like a long time after that no one spoke. Then the warden cleared his throat. What are you saying, Captain? There's no reason the Empire would just abandon an entire starter story out here in the middle of nowhere without a good reason. A good reason. He's right. Austin, who is one of the other uh, Imperial Corrections officers, said, maybe, and then he's cut off. Internal atmosphere diagnostics show no sign of any known toxin or contamination, Cloth said. Of course, it's always possible that our instruments are misleading how many life orbs are on board. We screen for numerous variables, electrical brain activity, pulse, motion, or in any other number of things that could skew the reading. In any case, he smiled, a wholly unconvincing dramatization that ought to involve the invisible wires and hooks on the either side of his mouth. The most critical factor is that we may be able to salvage equipment for our thrusters to get back on course before we're completely behind schedule. To that end, I'll be sending up a scouting party, and then he, he details the scouting party, who consists of Sartorius, two, uh, three ICOs, or Imperial Corrections Officers, Vesic, Austin, and Armitage, uh, mechanical engineers, and two stormtroopers ending up joining at the last minute. So it's a boarding party of 10 people. He's like, I'm sending you guys up into the ship to look for stuff. Uh, which they are, yes. Uh, I don't know if you stated it yet, but at all, but did, uh, the ship that they're on, like yes. how many people are on it? You'll, you'll find out. You, oh, yeah. you, it's kind of hinted at, but f- f- a general idea is between three and 500. Okay inmates and then like i would say a a good round number is is between four and five hundred with the crew and all the inmates yeah i I was always picturing like 500 people yeah okay i they i think they say at some point it was around 500 but so too yeah but anyways so they're like you got to go we're gonna dock with the star destroyer and then you're gonna go up and you're gonna search for parts and uh they are not happy about it. It's at this moment, right before, so they're leaving the office and Cloth holds Satorius back and he's like, they have this conversation where he talks about basically you're a terrible person and your your um, interrogation methods are what killed uh, Von Lungo, Longo, which is Trig and Kale's father. So like, it, it's not confirmed at this point, but the warden's basically like, like, I know you killed their father. Like, you're a terrible person. But it's like one terrible person saying that to another terrible person. They're both terrible. It's it's a fun experience. Uh, and then, of course, right before we jump into part two, uh, the last thing we find out is that so the boys are sitting in their cell. Um, and there is a an ICO Imperial Corrections Officer named Wembley, who has a BLX droid that follows him follows him around. Uh, he walks by and basically tells them that there is a 10,000 credit bounty on their heads, placed by their placed there by Miss uh, after his facial piercings were ripped out. And uh, it's 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 barge wide and everyone knows about it. So he's like Sorry, basically the bounty was on who? The boys, both. Oh, so Wait, after Kale ripped his, to find find them, like well, no, but <laughs> oh, see, it's not hard to find them. It's it's hard fight. to kill them. They have to kill them. Yeah, so that's the bounty. It's ten thousand credits oh. for whoever can actually kill the boys and get away with it, essentially. Okay, or not. 
or not, but they just want them dead. Miss wants them dead because he's the leader of a gang. He's supposed to be this big, like, head honcho guy, but he got his piercings ripped out by, like, a 17-year-old kid. Now he's embarrassed, and he's in, he's in pain. So that's the last point on the presentation here, bounty. They have a 10,000-credit bounty on their head, and Wembley, who is, like, really nice and compassionate towards the boys, he's he's kind of described as this, like, really big kind of teddy bear-ish guy who takes compassion on him, but he's also like, it's been nice knowing you. And they were like, aren't you supposed to uh, keep us safe, like protect us? And he was like, I'm telling you about the bounty, aren't I? And then he like walks away. <laughs> so yeah, so then they find out that they have a 10,000 credit bounty on their heads. Fun. Any questions in the chat? No. Oh, perfect. They're listening intently. Part two, lung windows. You heard that correctly. Lung, as in human lungs, windows. All right. How many parts are there tonight? Uh, there are four parts. Okay. The first two are, are relatively short. I figured after the second one, you know, be a great time for a coffee break. And then the the latter of the two contain a majority of the story of like the more intense parts of the story. Okay. So lung windows. All right. So they, the boarding party consisting of Sartoris and the ICOs and the engineers, and then the, the two stormtroopers join them. And it's funny because Sartoris is like, you're, you're seeing this from his perspective. And he's like, they just decided to swagger in. Cause like it, it, he, it, he paints the picture as, as like the stormtroopers just think they're BA and they just like walk in and they do whatever they want. <laughs> and, uh, apparently they were, um, ordered to do that at the last minute by the warden and Sartorius is like, I don't know what he expects us to find up there, but it's interesting in these moments, you begin to feel the doubt in his character. He's like, there shouldn't be anything up there. Right? Like, it's like that kind of a moment. It's like, why would he send stormtroopers? So it, it begins to kind of, he, he's still like really headstrong. And he's like, no, I'm just going up here to do a job. I'm going to get it. We're going to come back. It's going to be fine. But you can tell that there's there's apprehension beginning to form behind the scenes. Uh, so they have this discussion about the ship. Um, so they're they're riding up this. They have a docking tube from the pilot station, the bridge area on the top of the barge. Which, by the way, the the picture of the barge uh, that I had in the last part on the presentation that's not the purge, but there's no drawings of the purge. So I typed in imprison uh, imperial prison barge. And that's what came up. And I was like, that's what it kind of looked like in my mind. So close there you go. enough. <laughs> uh, this is actually the, the picture in the presentation for those of you who are watching is actually a, a 3D artist rendering of the vat of a vat from the book. Oh, uh, which is like, interestingly enough, like one of the only things that I could find, but it's also very obscure. So it worked anyways. So weird that someone made time to do that, but not the characters. Right. I guess humans are more difficult. Who knows? So yeah, um, they're they're riding up this docking tube into the underside of the main hangar. So they're they're taking it through through the floor. There's apparently like a docking station in the floor of the main hangar of the Star Destroyer, and that's how they're getting up from the barge into the, the just Star like Destroyer. in Ahsoka. Like, yes, like where the the 
the tower. They lower down into the tower, and then that's how they see Thrawn. Do you not remember what I'm talking about? No. You're talking about when he walks off onto the top of the sisters thing? Yeah, yeah they lower down because there's the open, opening in the yes. bottom of the stars. Yep. Yes, but this yeah. one is specifically like an elevator tube through space. They have a hatch on the bottom. So it's not like into the opening like Thrawn was. It's like through the floor. Oh. And then it kind of comes up at the top and they can... The way it's described is honestly kind of... is It's a little weird, but it's basically like an elevator. Oh, okay. So they're they're riding up and no one's talking. It was Austin, predictably, who ultimately broke the silence. What do you think happened up there, Cap? That there's only 10 life forms still on board. Uh, Warden says zero contamination, Vesic said, so it's got to be a malfunction on our end. So how come they never acknowledged? Maybe our communication suite got scrambled along with our bioscanners. Negative. One of the engineers, Greeley, shook his head. Communications are five by. Ditto the scanners. All checks out. He flicked his eyes upward. It's just a ghost ship. That's all. Austin gave him a look. What? A derelict. You know, ships get scuttled, abandoned by the fleet, left behind. Empire doesn't like to talk about them, but they're out there. So where this, where's the crew? Evacuated, Greeley said. Or he moistened his lips and tried to shrug it off. Who knows? Great, Vesic said. A star destroyer, a destroyer that can't fly on its own, and we're going aboard to scavenge for parts. This one's got Kloss's name written all over it. He rolls his eyes at Sertorius. Is there a greater plan at work here, Captain, or are we just winging this one? And then he says, basically, when they go up there, they're going to split into two groups. The two groups are going to go, and they're going to look for, for stuff. Splitting apart. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're gonna they're gonna split up, and I totally forgot, Jeremiah. You can make note of this, but uh, we're in the we're in the uh, ghost ship section right now of my presentation. But basically, they're gonna go up, and uh, he's gonna split them up, and I, I I definitely wrote this down somewhere oh here we go two groups of five satoris austin greeley vesic and blandings who's one of the engineers and then armitage quartermass fives and uh the two troopers are staying together doesn't you don't really need to remember that but there's two groups of five uh but then it talks about they get up into the uh, hanger of the Star Destroyer. And this is a good excerpt that kind of reads into the sheer scale of what we're dealing with. Um, at first, nobody said a word. Satoris thought he'd been prepared for how big it would be, but after two solid months aboard the Purge, he was simply overwhelmed by what awaited him here. He never actually set foot on a destroyer before, although he'd seen smaller Imperial warships, and I'd assumed this would be like those, only bigger, but it wasn't. This was more like its own planet. The docking shaft had delivered them into the Durstil Cathedral of the Destroyer's cavernous main hangar, its vaulted ceilings and paneled walls soaring upward and outward in an ecstasy of forced perspective. As the tourists started down, stared down those long planes into some barely visible vanishing point, he reminded himself that he was looking at less than a tenth of the Destroyer's actual 1,600 meters. He needed time to keep that figure in mind. He needed to keep that figure in mind if he didn't want to spend his entire time aboard wrestling with the enormity of it he took a deep breath the cold air tasted like metal shavings and the sterile out-of-the-box smell of long chain polymers and let it out for a man with an a horror of tight spaces standing here should have been a tonic 
but instead of relief, he only felt some arcane new species of panic fluttering in the pit of his stomach, this time in reaction to the seemingly limitless rebate of pure space. He grunted at the absurdity of it. Apparently, he'd gone from claustrophobia to ballroom syndrome in one quick leap without any time to appreciate the difference. Basically, this hanger is huge. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's apparently bigger than anything we've ever seen in visual media, the main hanger. Okay. Apparently, you can't see across it. Interesting. This again, this is 2009. We hadn't seen a ton of the inside of Star Destroyers, and a lot of this is like exaggerated for effect. So, yeah, super, super huge hangar. They start walking, and it's completely silent other than them, which makes things more eerie. And then they notice that there are ships, kind of random freighters there's like a small Karelian freighter not the millennium falcon i thought it was the first time i read it it's like oh the millennium no it's just it's just a it's a small Karelian freighter um sorry to get everyone ho get everyone's hopes up for that but there's some ships they realize it's completely silent they don't see anyone and then we get our first little zombie movie moment that you would expect to see in a movie uh they all saw it at the same time. Something across the bay was moving behind the TIE fighters. The shadowy bulking for form, uh, its shadow bulking forward, slanting across the deck before them. Behind, he was aware that the troopers were already going for their blasters. He took a step forward, warding, uh, wading deeper into the near silence, tilting his head to get a better look across the poorly lit hangar. His heart was beating too hard. He could feel it in his neck and wrists. And when he tried to swallow, his throat refused to cooperate. It was like trying to swallow a mouthful of sand. Only through sheer will was he able to avoid coughing. Standing motionless, Satoris narrowed his eyes at the things lurking in the shadows behind the TIE fighters. There were several of them, he realized now, stooping forward with gangling, flat-handed limbs, the familiar whine of servos accompanying their steady up-and-down gestures. Binary load lifters. Oh. So you think it's going to be something there. It's not binary load lifters they're just still doing their thing they never stop they're just stacking stuff and moving stuff around fun yep so there you go um so then uh basically this next part they just kind of uh split up there's a brief conversation about one of them seeing darth vader at one point and how like devastatingly scary that was that's fun Um, so then, uh, they are in one of the hallways, uh, and the engineers are going through stuff. They're trying to find the parts. Satoris and Austin and Vesic. No. Yes. Satoris, Austin and Vesic are in the hallway. The two engineers are in the room looking for parts. And they're talking and stuff. Austin like went around the corner um, to look at something, and it's just uh, Satoris and Vesic, and they're they're talking, and and there's really like nothing that really happens except for the fact that they try to raise the other group, and they can't. And then they finally get through, and there's like some static, and and the the communication breaks up, and they're like something something something, uh, uh, bio 
contamination unit, blah, 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 blah. And it like cuts off. You don't really get the whole thing. There's too much interference. And then Satoris kind of gets freaked out and he's like, all right, it's time to go. So he calls the engineers. None of them answer. And he's like, yo, where are they at? And he goes in the room and he like the tension is mounting and mounting and mounting. And then they just come out from around the corner and like, all right, we found our parts. So it's like the second like false scare of, of the book where you're like, oh, is this, the, did they, did they get taken? Did they die? No, it's just, it's just to set you up. Uh, but then uh, the interesting thing is that Austin comes around the corner and uh, he's like, guys, you gotta, you gotta see this. And Satoris is like, no, we're not, we're, we're, we're done. We're not gonna, he's like, no, no, you really need to see this. He's like, no, we are not doing this. We gotta go. We're just, we're, come on, let's do it. And then it ends with uh, Austin starts to cough. His words broke off with a series of short, sharp coughs, and Austin finally emerged, shaking his head and covering his mouth. Eventually, he got his breath and stopped coughing, but by, the t by then, they were already on their way back to the main hangar, and Jarrah Satoris never found out what ICO Austin had seen back there. So you never, you never see it, but he's coughing now. Cough stuff. Wheezy. That's a Pokemon reference for all of you nerds out there. Anyways. Oh, what reference? Pokemon. Pokemon. Oh. Coughing. Anyway, I'm not doing it again. It's coughing and wheezing. Your your favorite Pokemon, Jeremiah. Oh. It's all about Squirtle. Well, Say that to Charizard. <laughs> uh, okay. So then, uh, briefly, uh, we get to the lung windows portion of, of the presentation. Fun. Uh, yeah. It's something like that. So we, we go to Armitage, who is one of the side characters, and it, there's a brief, there's just like this brief description of who he is. He's like an artist, and he, he like paints and stuff, but he doesn't want to be doing this job and like all this stuff. Um, he finds this bio lab. So he's a part of the other group. This is not a part of Sartorius's group. This is someone who was in the other group that they lost communication with. And by the way, uh, the, ch the chapter name for this is literally called Lung Windows as well. That's where I got the, the name from. It's, a, it's just a fun little phrase there. Yeah, but it sounded like Lung Windows. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. At the beginning of every chapter, yeah. Every chapter book, they, they read the chapter name and they do like a weird... At the... yeah. Every chapter name, like the chapter could be like the field of daisies or something, you know, like, like dad, yeah, like yeah, the, the audio <laughs> definitely adds so, to it. So weird <laughs> at first. I'm like, oh, this is scary. And then after a while, I'm like, this is annoying, bro. Like, we get it, it's scary. Okay, I it was funny at towards the end of the book, I was like, okay, <sighs> this again, <laughs> it was like that, yeah, but, that's what um, I mean. Like, it was just like. <sighs> Uh, all right, so this is an excerpt that I definitely want to read. Um, so he steps into the lab. The first thing Armitage noticed when he stepped through the hatchway was the vat. In many ways, it was the only thing he saw because after that, he simply stopped looking. Its contents were simply too overwhelming and in a bizarre way, too beautiful to get past. The vat itself was huge, wall-sized, filled with some sort of clear bubbling gel. 
Suspended inside were dozens of oddly shaped pink organisms with wires and tubes running from them to a bank of humming equipment stacked beside the tank. Armitage, who had already stopped in his tracks, could only regard them in wonderment. From a distance, the pink things looked like an unlikely hybrid of flowers, peeled fruit, and some species of embryonic winged animal whose uh, like he'd never seen before. They resembled a flock of tiny skinned angels. When he came, then he came closer and realized what he was looking at. They were sets of human lungs. If he, if he felt any terror, uh, any tremor of disgust, it fickled, flicked through him so fleetingly that he scarcely noticed and was supplemented immediately by a deeper and more fulfilling sense of artistic fascination. In each set, the entire respiratory tract had been carefully winnowed out to preserve the trachea and above it, the larynx and all the more delicate organs of sound. Tubes were pumping oxygen into the lungs, causing them to expand and contract in their clear liquid bath. Armitage realized they were all breathing together. He counted 33 pairs of lungs in the vat before he gave up and stopped counting. Each was tagged and numbered, uh, tagged with numbers and dates, part of some abandoned scientific experiment whose nature he could only guess at. Some of the lungs were different. Their pink surface had gone a molted gray in places. The muscle wall thickened with what looked like gray scar tissue. Armitage moved closer. He was no longer aware of himself at all now and stared at them. Were they breathing more rapidly or is that just his imagination? And was he breathing with them? It felt as though he had been drawn into the larger, almost hypnotic tidal rhythm of their movement. Uh, So he wants to paint it, basically. It's like, so, as always, when faced with something so innately striking, he wants to paint it. Blah, 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 blah. But then it says he watched them sucking oxygen through the tubes and realized that they were breathing more quickly and deeply. Something on the other side of the vat, a machine beeped. Somewhere on the other side of the vat, a machine beeped and beeped again. Looking at them more closely, Armitage noticed for the first time the sets of rubber tubes that came braiding out of the lungs themselves. They seemed to be pumping some kind of thick gray fluid into a group of black tanks on the far side of the lab. Um, suddenly, at full inspiration, they stopped, and as one, they screamed through the tubes. It was a high buzzing shriek that rose and then sloped down, and it sent Armitage staggering backward in his, with its intensity. Never in his life had he heard such a scream. He covered his ears, ducked his head, and not wanting to be around this place anymore. The comm link was in his uh, headpiece cracked, some other guard's voice trying to reach him, and he could hardly convey what was happening. He wanted to run. Inside the vat, the screaming noises shrilled on up and down. The gray liquid was pumping faster now, siphoned off into the black tanks. Armitage realized that each one of the voice boxes had been wired with some kind of amplifier, making it even louder, and he wondered who was studying the scream capacity of these lungs and why. Behind him, a set of monitors showed the waveform of the scream, mapping it out in a series of mathematical functions. He turned to the door and realized he wasn't alone. Fun. And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> that's the literally the end of the chapter. Uh, so I wanted to read that whole thing because it's just it's it's too it's too good not to read. So, anyways, next thing we know, I was just picturing General Grievous this whole time, <laughs> like the insides of General Grievous. Like obviously he has uh, organs yeah. and stuff, but like I was just like. Uh, thinking like, is this like whoever is doing these experiments is the one that saved 
Grievous's organs and but like I'll you'll just... you'll find out very quickly that's not the same people. <laughs> it's not. So now to the final part of this section, the smell of vomit. It's a great way to move forward, huh? Long windows, the smell of vomit, like Oh yeah, oh yeah, baby. Um so they uh the first boarding party with Satoris, they make it back to the hangar. And they're waiting there. And they haven't been able to reach the other boarding party at all. And Sartoris, in his own selfishness and his nervousness, is like, you know what? They probably they they probably they they went back. We're they're, they're, they went back before us. This definitely what happened. We're let's go. We're we're just we're done. We got our parts, we're done, we're gonna leave. <laughs> uh this is a really short uh excerpt so i'm gonna read it uh i don't get it cat where'd they go so tourists party had just crossed the gleaming steel uh period of the main hangar and arrived back at the docking shaft but armitage armitage and his team were nowhere to be seen uh behind him he, he the captain heard austin coughing again the snotty bronchial hacking noise was really starting to get on his nerves he decided enough was enough he cocked one thumb at the shaft must have gone back down without us let's go uh so they climb inside uh, the shaft sealed behind them. The platform began to slow descent. Austin kept coughing. Satoris tried to ignore him. He was going to have to report back to the warden about the starter story and wasn't looking forward to it. Um, oh no, Greeley said. Satoris glanced up. What's wrong? The engineer started to say something and then dropped the box of parts, clutched his stomach, and bent over with a hoarse croak. Satoris realized the man was throwing up, shoulders clenched in great involuntary spasms. Blanding and the Blandings and the other guards all backed away from him, muttering with surprise and disgust. But there wasn't much room in the shaft, and within seconds, the smell had filled it entirely. So he apologizes. He's like, "Ah, oh, the lousy mess hall food. Am I right? Like that sort of a thing." <laughs> uh, he's like, "I feel fine. I just..." And then it says the engineer swallowed and took in a deep breath. His eyes and nose were streaming tears, and Satoris could hear faint chest, a faint chest rattle as he sucked in a shallow breath. Over his shoulder, he heard Austin starting to cough again. Uh, Captain Blanding's voice was small as he glanced back up in the direction they'd come. You don't think that there was something up there? Contamination diagnosis checked out negative, so Torres shot back. Too quickly, he realized. That's what you said, isn't it, Greeley? He gave a weak nod and tried to answer and thought better of it. His skin had taken on a decidedly green shade, and it shone with a thin layer of oily sweat. A moment later, he sank down to his knees uh, next to the box of electronics and lowered his head until it was almost touching the floor. By the time they arrived back on the barge, Vesic and Blandings had started coughing as well. Dun, dun, dun. And that is the end of part two. Exciting. Yep. So, not that it's going to help you when you're feeling sick necessarily and you're you're you know you're throwing up but well not not throwing up but anytime i'm not you know having a great day or something there is something that always makes me feel better yeah what's that wesley andrews coffee really oh yeah that's very very interesting because they happen to also be oh oh. our sponsor for today's (laughs) episode (laughs) and so if you need a little extra pep in your step, maybe you especially know, after this. You're you're running from from zombies, and you need a little extra 
boost. Caffeine boost. Drink yeah. water too. Remember, you don't have to be the fastest person. The like, you just have to run faster than someone else. And then cardio. The zombie will get that zombie guy. Land anybody? That is a very good zombie movie. Yeah, um, I like the Bill Murray stuff. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but if you need some caffeine in your system, whether it's coffee or tea, take a listen to our commercial from Wesley Andrews Coffee and Tea. Hey everyone, Andrew here. I'm pleased to tell you that the sponsor of today's episode is Wesley Andrews Coffee and Tea. If you don't know anything about Wesley Andrews, you definitely should. They're an award-winning coffee roaster and shop in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they make fantastic coffee. The awesome thing is that whether you live in the Twin Cities or not, you can get their coffee beans delivered straight to your door by ordering them online. They even have a subscription service that ensures you never run out of amazing coffee. If you've been looking for some new coffee to try or a way to elevate your normal coffee routine, now's your chance. Head over to wesleyandrews.cc, use the code Empire Radio. that's with a capital E and a capital R with no space at checkout, to get 15% off your first purchase of any bags of coffee or a coffee subscription. I can't think of a better deal. Get 15% off some great coffee, support a small business, and support your favorite Star Wars podcast. In the words of Emperor Palpatine, do it. Do it. Do it. Drink it. All. All right, we got to start over. <laughs> All right. So, yes, go get get coffee. But you're here for zombies. So, what's what's the rest of the story? All what's, right. So, so this is the point. This, the, this the what? Is the, the what? The the point. This is the point where things get uh serious. Things start to happen. Gnarly. Yeah. Uh so this is your warning. If you got a weak stomach or you get easily scared. I mean, you, I mean, quite frankly, it's not going to have the it's not going to have the same effect as if you're reading it cuz me telling it is not going to be anywhere close to what you'd experience if you read it. And this is yeah. a good point to to make note. Like Take take time to read this if you really want to. Like, I, you'll you'll have the full story by the end of this podcast. But like, it is a completely different experience reading it for yourself or listening and to the audio book. Audio book. Yeah, I would just say, if you buy this book, buy the audio book. Yeah, like you'll know the story, but there are still things that I'm not going to touch on. Subtle things like there's going to be. Th- it's just like I can't fit it all into a podcast, or it would be like six or eight hours. And Jeremiah. He'd be asleep, probably. So, I don't know. Depending on how good the story got, maybe not. But um, all I'm saying is definitely, if you have a chance, read this book. We're good. And they've got this really sick. They just redid the cover, and it's really sick. Yep. And if so. you order from Wesley Andrews Coffee and Tea, I may or may not. I don't know. I, I was like, what are you going to do? Put a book uh, in every no bag of coffee? <laughs> All right. So, anyways, this is uh, we are we are we're stepping into the real part of this book. Like everything up to this point was is build up. There's a little bit more build up, but really, like this is where things start getting crazy. Uh, ish hits the fan, as the kiddos say. Uh, so, this is part three. They woke up. Dun dun dun. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about at this point, then whatever. All right. Part one of part sub part. One three point. Where did you find that image? 
uh, Googled Death Troopers. So you, when you Google Death Troopers, you have to be specific now because like Death Troopers are a thing in Star Wars canon. And so if you just Google Death Troopers, it's just like a bunch of black like, troopers. Yeah, like black armored troopers posters and stuff like that. You have to type in Death Trooper book or like Death Trooper book art thousand or like zombie <laughs> stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. And still it's like quite frankly for those of you watching and looking at the the presentation like all of the images that i have in this presentation and the one that i use for the thumbnail and like the very beginning it's like really the best ones <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of media there's really not so uh anyways uh part 3.1 dropping like flies so immediately after they come back down uh, from the docking shaft, it immediately cuts to the med bay. Uh, everyone's sick. Everyone is sick that came back, except for Sartorus. Um, what did you say? For some reason. Yeah, for some reason, and it happened very fast. Like it's not a it's not a super long ride down from the Star Destroyer, but by the time they make it, almost everyone is showing signs of sickness to to varying degrees. Um. Austin is uh, like laying in a hospital bed and Dr. Cody tries to help him. And he's like, send the droid over. She's like, I'm literally trying to help you. He's like, send the freaking droid over. Like, I'm not going to talk to you. Like we talked about the animosity before, but he's like, you they don't want her to work on them. Yeah. Like he's like, you sympathize with these people so much. I don't want you touching me. Like, I don't trust you enough like it's it's so stupid. like a car well i don't know if i would say that but well they treat her pretty poorly you haven't worked on amazon but <laughs> anyways uh so uh yeah so there's this whole conversation between the two of them and she's like fine whatever and she like she's like i don't want to help you anyways I'm like not really but you know um then <laughs> Then Vesic uh, has a seizure. And for the full effect of this moment, we're going to return to the book for a brief but graphic look at what is going on. Uh, by the time she arrived at his bedside, Vesic had started to slide off his mattress despite the surgical droid's effort to restrain him. The guard's face had gone nearly translucent, a nearly translucent shade of pale and his eyes were rolled back in his head while the rest of his body flopped and twitched erratically as if responding to some high-voltage electrical current. Then, without any warning, he fell on his back, his mouth bursting open to emit an uncertain irk sound, followed by an almost solid spray of bright arterial blood that shot straight up into the air like a geyser. Fun. Watch out, Zahara said. Uh, she raised her hands to shield herself. And the engineer is sitting next to her uh, on, the, on the, the other side of the bed. The B, uh, the two one B, continued to hold Vesic in place. When it looked up, she saw that its cowling and visual sensors were covered with blood. Vesic collapsed back on the strain, the stain sheets, as if in fact, as if the fact, the act of vomiting had drained all the fight, the fight from him. So there you go. Is she at she, this moment? Is she um, covered up? I don't remember. No spoilers, okay, remember. dude. Dude, 
I don't let, let Andrew. <laughs> no, no. I, I'll, 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 I'll signify. I'll, I'll definitely clarify all this. So basically, Vesic has a seizure and then literally shoots arterial blood out of his throat, covering the droid. Nice. So now, now, now you know what we're, we're stepping into. Buckle up. So Vesic has a seizure. Uh, and then she's like, at that point, she's like, all right, quarantine. So they have this thing called the bubble. It's like a quarantine bubble. She's like, everyone, everyone get into the bubble. Just everyone, just everyone that was on the ship go in there. She's like, where's our Taurus? And they're like, he returned to his cabin. And she's like, crap, that's not good. She's like, <laughs> go get him right now and bring him back. Uh, because he needs to be quarantined because he was up there with y'all. So then we cut to Sartorius, who is asleep on his bunk. Uh, Satoris was dreaming when the knock on the door awakened him. In the dream, he was still wandering around the destroyer alone. The rest of his party, Austin, Vesic, Armitage, the engineers, and troopers, uh, were dead and gone. Something aboard the destroyer had picked them off one by one. Each, man de each man's departure had been marked by a scream followed by a sickening crack that Satoris seemed to feel as much as he here. Satoris kept moving, trying to ignore the, a, nagging, a nagging itch that had spread across the skin of his stomach like a rash. He knew it was only a matter of time before the beast, whatever it was, came after him. It wouldn't be long before he glimpsed its true face if it had one. Maybe it did, or maybe it didn't. Perhaps it was simply sickness personified, a brainless and ravenous void that sucked in life. A maze of hallways stood ahead of him, and Sartorius' pace faltered. He was lost, and he knew it. He wasn't even sure if he was heading toward the thing or away from it. The skin around his abdomen itched worse, than, and he stopped to scratch it and felt something impressed on the flesh itself like a tattoo or a mesh of wrinkles. His dream self tugged up his shirt tail from his pants and he looked down at the skin of his side and saw that there was, in fact, something printed on his side, some kind of map, a map of the Star Destroyer. The diagrams disappeared into the flesh and he realized he'd have to open himself up to read it. <laughs> Stealing himself, he hooked uh, the first two fingers of his right hand and raked them as hard as he could into the muscle above his hip, ignoring the dry eye spike of pain and thrusting in deeper to peel back the outer tissue layer. The fat came loose and from his flank, and with a sicken with a sickening ease, blood gushed out of his side, hot and streaming, running down to his legs and filling up his boots. When he woke, uh, when he woke up, a scream at his lips. The knocking had turned into pounding. So yeah, he has a uh, pretty graphic nightmare. Fun. There you go. Uh, and then they 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 show up at his door and they're like, "Hey, you need to come with us." And. Um, he uh, basically has this thought. There's a very specific line that I want to read. Uh, a new, how long had he, be, had he been up? Oh, he finds out. He finds out that Austin's dead. Uh, he died about an hour ago, so he'd been asleep for a bit. Austin's already dead. He already died from his his sickness. Uh, a new thought occurred to him then, a desperate realization of an eventuality that he might have to face sooner rather than later. He asks about Vesic, uh, and then he's like, all right, fine, take me take me to him. I need to talk to Vesic specifically. Anything in the chat? Nope. Just a view to says the slurping adds to the podcast charm. The slurping? When we drink. Oh. <laughs> No, just a little. Anyways, um, 
I'm going to start trying to go a little bit faster here. But basically, uh, it jumps to Kale and Trig. They're in their, their cell. And a few other times in the book, it mentions that right across from them, there was a cell full of Rodians. Uh, and now the Rodians are sick. They're coughing and stuff. Uh, and I think this is a really great moment. Of, I, I just can't picture a Rodian coughing because they have that, that skinny mouth. It's like, a, it's like a little trumpet. <laughs> uh but I think this is a great, and I actually wrote this in my notes. Is, is this a great moment of conveying a sense of danger? Like by, by telling us that they're sick, as a reader, as a listener, you're like, oh no, the sickness is, it's there with the main characters now. But they don't know what's happening. And I think that's really beautiful. It's like, well, not beautiful, but it, it's really cool. It's a really cool moment of like the reader being let in on something like you would in a movie. Because this will totally happen in a movie too. But they don't fully understand the danger that they're in yet. But the Redians are sick. They're coughing. And then uh, they find out through, through talking that Miss, our Miss, has been moved into the cell directly beside them. Dun, dun, dun. He pulled some strings and got moved right beside them. And he begins taunting them and talking about how he's going to kill them and like fillet them and stuff like that. Pretty much, he was saying that the bounty doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, he's right. like, I don't even care. I'm just, I just want to kill you at this point. You guys have been marked for dead. So then, uh, Kale makes the mistake of like reaching his hand out, and then Miss grabs it. And is like pulling him up against the bars and stuff. And right in that moment, uh, Wembley, their ICO uh, friend, uh, shows up and I guess like kicks Miss in the face and, and gets him free. Uh, gets Kale free. He's like, you still got all five? <laughs> Kale's like, yeah, I think so. He was just messing with me. Freaking messing with him, whatever. Uh, so at this point, Wembley is wearing a, a isolation like containment suit, an orange suit. Uh, which they ask about. Uh, and it's so funny because the the droid that walks around with him starts to be like, yeah, there's been a, and he's going to say like outbreak or something. And Wembley's like, he cuts him off. He's like, it's just a precaution. Like nothing to worry about. Uh, he says, nobody knows anything, blah, 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 blah. But then this, this moment happens. Up the hall, someone, somebody shrieked. Wembley spun around with, a, with, with remarkable agility for a man of his size and saw something he didn't like. Without another word, he burst into a shambling run into the opposite direction of whatever he's seen. Trig didn't have to wait long to learn what it was. The other guard charging down the hall wore a torn orange suit and no mask. He was still screaming when he slammed face first into the bars of their cell, spraying a glut of blood through. It hit Trig's face, shockingly warm and wet on his cheeks and nose. The sick guard stopped screaming and stood there, eyes wide and totally disoriented. His hands gripped the bars as if forcibly keeping himself upright. Fever blazed from his skin in palpable waves. His breathing was hoarse and raspy, and when Trigg saw the man's chest and shoulders rising to force out a cough, he had the presence of mind to stand back. Only after the guard coughed for what seemed like forever, making no effort to cover his mouth, did he finally seem to realize where he'd landed. You can't stop it, the guard said, in a queer, flat voice, the voice of a man talking in his sleep. You just can't. What? Trigg asked. There's no way. The guard shook his head, his lower lip trembling a bit. 
Then he turned and started walking crookedly up the hallway in the direction where Wembley had gone. Uh, and then like it goes really in depth into like how just scared Trig is after that experience. Um, so yeah, stuff starting. It was kind of weird that it was said something like it was surprisingly warm. Like, yeah, why would it be surprisingly warm when someone pukes on you or whatever it was? Well, it wasn't puke; it was blood or blood, whatever. But like, if it's blood's warm though, it's blood, warm. Like, like, why is it surprisingly, dude? Like, so when you bleed you don't really feel the temperature difference because you're bleeding. But if you ever get someone else's like blood on you, you, it, it, it's like a, it's a totally different experience. Have you experienced it? I mean, just like, like kids, like you skin your knee or something. Like if you touch, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's a different experience. (laughs) Okay. Like, I don't think I've ever like gotten someone else's blood, like all over me like that. But like, it, like I've, I feel like I've touched someone else's blood by accident before. I. It's just it just comes across as like way warmer than you would expect. <laughs> the view says Andrew bathes in kids' blood. <laughs> I'm not Anakin. I'm not. I'm not Anakin. Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? Uh yeah. So this is uh this is the dropping like flies section. Everyone is just just. They're starting to go down. It's interesting noting that towards the end of this chapter too, uh, they both, they have this like check-in and they're like, yo, do you feel sick? And Trig's like, no. And he's like, Kale, do you feel sick? And he's like, nope. So neither of them feel sick yet. Which is a good thing. I don't know, this is just weird, like listening to this story post like the COVID era. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, well, when I was reading it, even I was just like, "Oh, put a mask on, like right now." Like, <laughs> there's yeah. like things about this where you're like, "Oh yeah, we didn't have zombies, but people got sick like super fast, like pretty similar situations." It's actually more relatable that way when was you read the book. Was there something else? It was like one of the High Republic books that we read where it was like a illness or something. I can't remember. I thought there was something else we've covered on the podcast where well, the, it was just kind of like a real... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. was it? Um, I can't remember. It, well, I don't think it was the High Republic. I can't remember. Oh, the... Well... If you says the blue shadow virus thing, but no, it was something like, like we were reading, going over a plot point or something. Was I was on like, for that? Probably. I can't I feel remember. like I remember something about that though. Like we were, we were all like, was it an EU with Andrew thing? Might've been, I don't know. But it's just like, I have a vague memory. A, like zombie. Like, like, was it in the Thrawn novels? Is someone like, there was some Amy with Andrew that you well, talked about. I felt like it was a while ago, like when we were closer yeah. to, like, to the midst of like COVID stuff. Yeah. But I was just weird, like even like watching The Last of Us and like. Just... Dude, have you seen Contagion? No. Dude, 
Okay. I sidebar really quickly. What is that? I don't even know what that is. It's a movie. It's a it's a it's a movie called Contagion. And literally is that the Ebola so, one? Huh? Is that the Ebola one? It's not uh, I don't remember what the it's virus is. From the nineties or something? It's like the early two thousands. So uh, I was on a cruise right before co- like right before COVID hit. Like th- freaking three weeks before it actually broke out. And Micaiah and I watched this movie. No joke, dude. It's <laughs> literally what happened. <laughs> like it, it I don't know how I don't know how they got it so accurate, but like everything, the way it spread, the way people died, like it was more aggressive than COVID. Like it was it was more of like a Obviously, it's a movie, so it's more fantastical in, in the sense of the way it spread. But, like, essentially, it was the same thing. And then we, we were looking back, and we were like, yo, <laughs> that was really freaking weird. He's spot on. But, anyways. Uh, so, we cut back, and now, Drew, uh, uh, Dr. Cody has has put on an isolation suit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, spoil anything. Yeah, she puts on an isolation suit. She's in there. Uh, it's worth noting that right now, people were coming into the med bay fast. Like, fast, fast. Uh, it says in the book that it was so fast that Cody, like Dr. Cody, she, she just stopped counting. People were coming in. Um, they had a wide range of symptoms, including up, upper west respiratory upper respiratory symptoms, fever, GI symptoms, seizures, hallucinations, hemorrhage, and coma. Uh, so, uh, uh, (laughs) it was a wide range of things. Uh, so at at that point in the book, they, there had been already been 12 deaths, uh, including everyone from the party that went aboard the star destroyer and came back aside from Satoris and Vesic, who was like basically almost dead, but he hadn't died yet. So there have been 12 people total already in that short amount of time that had died. Uh, there were infections being reported all over the purge. And it was said that there was an infection rate of nearly 100% for the virus. A what rate? Uh, nearly 100% infection rate. Okay. So like... Out of every 198 or 99 of them are, are getting sick. Like it was like it was like that that strong. Uh, it there's it makes there's a point that the book makes that waste who is this droid who was trained at a medical academy or programmed at a medical academy and has all of this programming for for medicine. Uh, it's very specifically says it's nothing like he had ever seen or been programmed. Like nothing he had ever experienced before. So, all right, I got a question. Yes. So, going back to the Star Destroyer stuff. Yes. The life forms were the lungs, right? That they scanned for and they found. Or is or am I getting ahead of myself? And there's actually other living people on this. Who knows? Do we get an answer to that? And you're just not telling me yet, or? Uh, yeah. You do indirectly. Okay. Yeah. And, and we're still connected to the Star Destroyer, or have we disconnected from the? Nope. No, you, you're still connected. Okay. Yeah. You're still connected. Um, so it's unlike anything Waste had ever seen. He does some analysis on the virus, and he comes back and says, it's actually this like thing of beauty. It apparently uses something called quorum sensing, 
to communicate inside the host. Oh yeah. Which, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> like duh. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, like, a, like a, a tech uh, comment. Like yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I thought you knew. <laughs> yeah. So what that means for everyone who didn't know what that is, unlike Jeremiah, who definitely knew, uh, the individual cells don't activate to full virulence until they've reproduced to such numbers that they uh, the host uh, like physically can't stop them. So it's like a sleeper virus. Nice. Yeah, it's crazy. And it doesn't activate until it's too late. And then the host is, is just done. It's done for. They have a conversation where they basically basically say, he's like, at this point, I don't even think isolation gear is 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 effective against it. Um, I'd so wear it, though. <laughs> yeah. So um, people keep dying at even faster rates. They just kept dying. So Taurus comes in. He finally makes it to the, the med bay. They have a confrontation by Vesic's bed. He's in the bubble. Uh, she finds the Taurus in there, and uh, like they have this confrontation where it's like, um, Sartorius is like, "You're to blame for all of this, for all of these people dying. Like, how are you ever gonna live this down? Like, you're never gonna work for the Empire again if you live. Like, the, basically, like he's blaming her for all of these deaths and not being able to do anything." And she's like, well, actually, you're a butthole, and I know you killed Von Lungo, and you're a terrible person. Like, it was just like this like verbal sparring match almost. Um, he, but like, so Taurus straight up blames her for not doing more. Like, I remember reading that part. I was like, yo, that's, that's very unnecessary and savage. Uh, and in the process of this conversation, she confirms that he has natural immunity to the virus. She's like, by the way, just in case, you know, just, you know, are you, you know, in case you're done, like insulting me, by the way, I have good news for you. You're immune, essentially. And then towards the end of that chapter, hey, who, who's immune? Uh, so Taurus, she had some work, some like blood work done on him. He's immune. She tells him. And then towards the end of this chapter, she's like, you know what? Screw this. She rips off the isolation suit and she's like, waste, draw some blood. I need you to do some blood work on me. Because she's not sick at this point, and so she she has a hunch that she's like, I need you to I need you to figure out what's going on in my blood. So she has waste do a blood sample. All right. So uh, this is a good this little bit is is a good indication of Sartorius's character. If you haven't gotten a good idea already, so Sartorius leaves the med bay. Um. By the way, Vesic dies. Like almost like right after he leaves. So he's the only one left. Sartorius walked back up the corridor toward the warden's office. So he's heading that way now. With a pair of E11 blaster rifles, their stocks collapsed so he could hold one in each hand. He'd taken them off two of the stormtroopers in the hallway. One of them right outside the infirmary had attempted to shoot him with it. The guard in question, a man that Sartorius had known for years, had staggered toward him with his helmet in his hand and blood in his eyes, coughing and ranting at the top of his lungs. He didn't seem to have any idea where he was, but he kept insisting he get medical care. He said his lungs were filling up with fluid and he couldn't breathe. He was drowning from the inside, but they wouldn't let him into the med bay. Sartorius tried to shove past the man, and the guard pulled the blaster and pointed it at him. When he finally realized he, who he was about to shoot, the trooper stopped and swayed sideways against the wall. Cap, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. 
Sartorius grabbed the E11 from him, switched it to stun, and shot him point blank. 20 meters, 20 meters later, another stormtrooper came at him, and Sartorius had been faster this time, dropping him on sight. It had been like that the rest of the way up. Guards and troopers in ineffective infection control gear stumbled up and down the hallways, coughing and puking blood into their masks, reaching out for, to him for help and begging him for answers to what was going on. Many of them had already collapsed and lay face down on the floor. The farther he went, the more bodies lay in his path. Sartorius stepped over them when he could. Other times he stepped on top of them. With every passing meter, the musty fug, F-U-G, of bile and sweat, stale sweat, hanging in the air grew more oppressive. He had never smelled anything like it. If things were this bad up here in the administration level, he couldn't imagine how bad it was down in gen pop, gen general population. It would be a nightmare down there. He wondered if the warden had already pulled all the remaining guards up from the, de the detainment levels entirely, sealed the whole thing off, and was waiting for the inmates to die. So it's getting bad real fast. So he goes into the warden's office, and we find out, and this, this goes back to the, the, the remark that I mentioned earlier where he was like, he realized that there was an an, a situation that he was going to inevitably have to face, and he went to go talk to Vesic. Well, it turns to find, come to find out, Vesic was the one who had the escape pod clearance codes. And he went to try to get them from Vesic. And it says in the book, it basically is like, yeah, if Vesic uh, hadn't have struggled so hard and he had been able to talk more, maybe he wouldn't have died, you know, but like basically Sartorius pinched his nose, which ultimately like for too long and it set off a chain reaction that led to his death. So he killed him. Two for two, you know, am I right? Uh, and so he's going to the warden's office because the warden is the only other person with the clearance codes on the barge. Interesting. Yeah. So he gets there. The warden's already extremely sick. He talks about this extremely nauseating smell. Uh, the warden was like sitting on the floor in the fetal position in, in a pool of like pinkish gray, like kind of semi-bloody fluid. The office smelled absolutely terrible he walks in with the two e11s and he's like you need to you need to give me the codes and the warden was still trying to still trying to save himself he's like help me up we'll go to the escape pod and we can escape together like the empire won't blame me for doing what i for leaving everything behind like blah blah blah, blah. and he talks about how like just how like squirmy and like small and insignificant of a thing he was in front of sartorius and how he was only thinking for himself, which is just super ironic because Satoris is doing the same thing. And then he gets the codes. He threatens him with the blasters, gets the codes, shoots him with both blasters point blank. There is a very detailed description of what happens to his head when the blasters go off at point blank. They were not set to stun. And uh, the door's open. Another guard sees him do it. And he's like, yo, did you just, you just shot the warden? He's like, yep. Uh, you wanna you wanna be the next one, <laughs> and, and the guard's like, no. And he's like, okay, go down that way. And he points down the hall, and the guard's like, all right, fine. And the guard just walks, <laughs> just walks away. Um, yeah, his head basically explodes when he shoots him point blank with the E11s. It happens. <laughs> just, just one of those things. Am I right? <laughs> Uh, so, so Sartorius gets the, gets the codes. Uh, 
so this is a this is this is a really interesting paragraph that kind of communicates. So that was the time to leave portion. Now we're out of the Nexus mouth into the den. Uh, although there was no longer anyone alive to monitor it, the surveillance system of the Imperial Prison Barge Purge did an excellent job of relaying the conversation between Trig and Kale Longo in their cell in detention level five. The screens now playing to a retinue of Imperial Guard corpses in the barge's main surveillance suite showed the brothers' faces peering from between the bars. Although the audio systems were perfectly calibrated to capture the slightest conspiratorial whisper, there was very little sound coming through the speakers at all. In fact, all throughout the detention level, it was quiet. The last of the screaming and coughing noise that had already stopped, leaving only a vacant, sucked-out silence that went on and on. Everyone's dead. <laughs> Pretty much everyone. Uh, so then Kale basically gets up on the bars and he's like, hey, can anyone, anyone hear me? Like, we're here. Can someone help? And then miraculously, all of the cells open. Pretty much right after he says that. And then he's like, sick, let's go figure out what's going on. <laughs> and that's that's the Andrew version. Like, sick, man. And then Trig's like, Trig realizes what is happening because he hears something on the other side of the wall. And he's like, yo, Kale, stop. And before he can tell him fully to stop, Kale walks out of the cell and Miss, who is in the cell beside them, jumps out with a knife and lands on top of him. Perfect. On top of Kale. Kale completely thought or forgot that Miss was in there. So he lands on top of Kale. There's a struggle. Uh, Kale eventually like gets the knife and like stabs him at one point. Miss gets back on top of him. They're still scuffling. And then Miss uh, gets his hands around Kale's neck. I think he's about to strangle him. And like they're face to face. And it says that all of a sudden the blade goes through his mouth, poking out towards Kale. Because apparently Trig had picked up the knife that had fallen. Or it was like in his body or something. And he like pulls it out. And he stabs him and kills him. So Trig saves his older brother. You know, look after your older brother, that whole thing. Fun. Yep. Let's see. That was the knife part. Ah, yes. So they 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 walk by. It talks about them walking by after that point, rows and rows of cells with just dead bodies in them, just decaying bodies all throughout the cells. They're everyone's dead. They reach the guard station, the control the control station, and they find Wembley, and he was, was like hunch over the the control thing and he was like man this like we you know we feel sad for this guy it was probably the last thing he does and the droid's like yeah it's like standing so like solemnly in the corner because he doesn't have anybody to follow around the droid's like yeah it was the last thing he did and then he died he opened the gates he heard them screaming open the gates for them and he dies which was kind of nice it's a nice final gesture so then Trig and Kale are like, okay, what the heck are we supposed to do? And Kale's like, I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna get out of here. It's it, we're not we're not staying in here any longer. So they they make their way towards the escape pods up on the administration level. Got some more reading here. It took a long time to find the turbo lifts up from the main detention level. Most of the bodies they ran across were like 
we're like we're like in the inmates on this level. Corpses in bunks, corpses on floors, corpses curled up in the corners, arms already stiffening around their folded knees as if somehow balling themselves up could stave off the eventuality of death. Dead guards and stormtroopers lay on the floor while puzzled-looking maintenance droids hovered over them trying to make some sense of the mass carnage, picking them up and putting them down again. Kale collected blasters from two of the bodies, but Trigg could tell just by the way he carried them that he wasn't entirely comfortable with the weapons, though he tried to act casual about it. They saw other things as well. Outside one cell, a, a dead guard lay with his back against the bars. Trigg saw that he had been tied by the wrist and around the neck by two of the dead inmates inside the cell. The inmates had, sliced, had since died of the disease, but that hadn't been what killed the guard. The cons had somehow lured him close enough to bind him there, then tortured him to death, stabbing, slashing, and mutilating him with the crude, sharpened instruments that they were still clutched in their dead hands. They saw an inmate, an alien species that Trigg didn't recognize, comprising two conjoined bodies, one twice the size of the other. The smaller body had already died and fallen limp, while the larger one cradled it, cradled it weakly like its own child, weeping and trying to breathe. It didn't even look up at them when they uh, walked by. They saw a maintenance droid carrying on a cheerful one-sided conversation with a dead stormtrooper. They saw two Imperial guards slumped dead over a Dejaric hollow chest table, while the figures on the table lumbered aimlessly around the board awaiting instruction. Finally, they found a turbo lift and waited for the hatchway to slide open. There were a pair of dead guards inside, both of them armed, slouched in opposite corners, their torsos torn apart and scorched by blaster bolts. As if the final in the final throes of delirium, they turned against each other. Kale hoisted them by their biohazard suits and dragged them out of the lift. And Trigg was glad his brother didn't ask him to help. Looking at the bodies was one thing, but touching them, lifting them up, hoisting their dead weight, that wasn't something he felt prepared for. What, what if one of the cold dead hands was to reach up and grab a hold of him? Would he even be able to scream? There was a clicking sound behind them, and Trigg glanced back over his shoulder. He thought about Miss in the cell next to theirs, the cell that had been empty when he looked. Miss must have run out immediately after Wembley had sprung open the doors for them. Did that mean Miss was just immune too? Trigg wondered if he was following them. Just because he didn't see anything didn't mean it wasn't there. So again, we're going from zero to 100 now. Like Things are getting very gruesome and very depressing. Right. Uh, this next part was a part that really... Like the the imagery of this got me, and I'm not going to read it. This is something that I would want people to experience for themselves. But they walk by a cell. Drew, do you remember this? The Wookie. Mm -hmm. This was really sad. So they walk by a cell, and there's three Wookies, two parents and a child, and the child is just weeping, and the parents are dead. And it describes that the virus for Wookiees makes their throats swell up until it strangles them, essentially. They can't breathe. But this child has one of the arms of the dad and one of the arms of the mom wrapped around him, and he's trying to, like, hug himself with him, and he's crying. And they, like, Trigg's heart breaks, and he's like, hey, come with us. Like, like obviously, you're not sick. Come with us. We'll, we'll help you get out. And the thing, like, the Wookiee just doesn't understand him and refuses to leave. And they're walking away and they can still hear this thing wailing. And then all of a sudden it just breaks into a blood curdling scream. And they hear 
this scream rise up and they also hear what sounds like something eating the sounds of something eating and then it it, it just abruptly goes quiet but that that scene with the wookie like always gets me i don't know what it is but like it's just really sad uh so we jump back over to dr cody all of her patients are dead all of them just her and waist uh who is like trying to clean up and stuff um waste comes up and he's like hey by the way i did some of your blood work and i was able to synthesize whatever it is in your blood that makes you immune and i don't have a cure but i do have an antivirus of sorts that will definitely help someone like it's not going to cure someone who's sick but you if you get it to someone before they're sick it'll save their life so she's like she gets an idea and she's like okay i know what i need to do next you stay here. I'm going to go to up to the, the bridge, uh, and I'm going to use the computer and the scanners to access access the whole ship and scan for life, life forms and see if there's anyone else that I can give this to to save their lives, essentially. So she and Waste uh, part ways at that point. She heads up towards the bridge. So then... She makes it up there. She uh, talks to the computer. It's like an AI thing. And she finds out that there are only six life forms alive. The entire barge, there are six. So Thanks. it's her. The computer mentions she's in the cockpit, like the bridge area. There's one by the escape pods. Like walking around in the attention, the, the detention level around the escape pods. Uh, there are two walking around, uh, like heading towards the, the administrative level, which are triggering kale. And then there are two down in solitary confinement at the very bottom of the ship in like the lowest reaches of the ship. And she's like, I got to get these people, these two people out of solitary. I've got to go save them. So she musters up the courage and she calls waste over the intercom and she's like, yo, Meet me in solitary and waste like, you sure you want to do that? And she's like, yep, meet me down there. And he's like, okay. And she heads down there. Uh, so she trips over a dead guard right out of the turbo lift when she gets down there. And she finds a note that the guard had written to his wife. It was really sweet. And then at the very end, you can tell it, like it talks about him trying to sign his name. And then it's just, it just scribbles off. Like he lost the ability to write at the very end of it, the very end of it. So she gets the note, she puts it in her pocket, and she's like, I'm gonna find this person's wife. Like, I'm gonna track, like, if I make it out of this, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get this to this person. Um, she gets to the solitary cells. She she picks up the blaster from the guard, she makes it to the cells, she's super scared. Like, think uh, you know, like the inside of the dead space ship, the rusted pipes and like stuff like that. No? Okay. Some of you have seen Dead Space. You know what I'm talking about. But that's what I envisioned the solitary level looking like. It's like the pipes are dripping and there's rust and metal everywhere. She gets to the first cell. It's completely empty. She opens the second cell. There's something in there. She finds a Wookiee. And then she goes to open the second cell, or the third cell, excuse me, and there's a human. And it's none other than Han and Chewie. What? Yeah. 
So Han Solo and Chewbacca are down in the solitary level in solitary confinement. So I, earlier you mentioned, oh, there's a Corellian ship, but it's not the Falcon. It's not the Falcon. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. It isn't the Falcon. The Millennium Falcon. Right. Is, like I don't know, but it was just interesting that like you made yeah. that comment, and then now. Yeah, I. So it's funny because there is nothing on the outside or like the immediate There's inside of this book. Advertises. Yeah, a it's a complete surprise. If you've never read the book, nothing up until this point. As long, like, if you haven't spoiled it for yourself on the internet, nothing up until this point remotely points that they're going to be in this book. Even on the back, it says, uh, when the Imperial Prison Barge purged temporarily home to 500 of the galaxy's most ruthless killers, rebels, scoundrels, and thieves. But, like, it has nothing, it doesn't mention any characters. Who's the biggest scoundrel in the galaxy? Yeah. But it was just like, what? Han Solo and Chewbacca? I almost I almost put them in the characters up front. I had a version where it was they were on there. And I was like, no. It's got to be a surprise for the people listening to. That would have been the biggest spoiler. Yeah. So Han and Chewie are there, basically. So they're in confinement together. Yeah, they're in two different cells, but essentially they you find out that like the Empire had caught them smuggling something a few weeks prior and then like the, the they don't know where the Falcon is, like the Falcon isn't in this. And they transported them to a Star Destroyer and then transported them to the prison barge to go work. So, it's funny because like had this not happened, there's a pretty good possibility that they wouldn't have been in new in a new hope. Well, if this was canon. So, I don't know how yeah. the, the EU works, but yeah. like they don't no. have the Falcon. So is, yeah. is it possible then that Lando has it and then between these events and the next movie, he steals it? It's from, possible. But like I'm saying, like, is there an EU story where that nope. happens? Okay. No, not that I'm aware of. They just they just don't have it. Like I kept expecting, I, like I kept expecting throughout the book, like because they mentioned the freighter, and then I was like, oh, Han and Chewie are here now. They're going to go back into the Star Destroyer, and it's going to be the Falcon. But like they literally never mention that freighter again. So weird. Yeah, the the Falcon's not in it. But I I read that like the end of the chapter is he says um because it, it doesn't name them and. But of course, uh, there's some humor. He's like, so you didn't bring us dinner? Like, we're hungry, LOL. Uh, she's like, what? No. She, it says she'd expected hostility, confusion, or disdain, but the Emmett's cavalier attitude already had her flustered. I'm afraid there's been an incident. She raised the blaster, and the Wookiee threw back his head and let out a restless, deep-chested bray that seemed to shake the air around her. Okay, okay, the man said. Put the blaster down, huh? You're making Chewie nervous. And she goes, Chewie? He says, Chewbacca, my co-pilot, the dark-haired man said, coming forward so he could so she could see his face more clearly. The half-smile quirked across his face. I'm Han Solo. Chapter ends. <laughs> so Funny. I was like, what? Anyways, so it was a good little good little moment. Yeah, when uh, I read that, I was like, am I in the right book? Like, yeah, it it's really, it's it really comes, strange. It literally comes out of left field. It yeah, it's like a little less than halfway through the book and you're like I feel like it's the, halfway through the book like huh 
It feels like you're halfway through the book. Yeah. So here's the thing about this book. Not a lot happens. Like, if you take the story from start to finish, it's not a lot. But the way that it's told and the details that get added in make it a lot longer than it is. And it's not even that big of a book. Like, it's not that long of a book to begin with. Yeah, I read it in three nights. Easily. Flex. (laughs) So, anyways. And we're on uh, Left Behind now. Is that... uh chapter we're on now yes we're we're just about to so we just hit solitary we're on left behind now okay so basically this part um i the, I, i'll i'll fly through this basically they make it trig and kale make it to the escape pod there's a moment where trig thinks that they're being followed he's really jumpy now but it's, it's like this like constant noise kind of scratching stuff but they like n- they never see anything right so they get to the escape pod they get up there and they're like, boop, 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 you know, trying to get it open. It's not working. And then they, they finally get it open and they're like, sick, let's get in and like, uh, let's take it out of here. And then Sartor, Sartorius comes up behind them with a blaster. He's like, where do you think you're going? And they're like, yo, let's, let's get in the escape pod together. And because he, he has the codes, he's like, no, get out. And they're like, no, there's room. He's like, yeah, there might be, but I'm leaving and you're staying here. And he leaves them. Fun. Just two kids. He just gets in the escape pod and he leaves. And he mentions watching them through the viewport fly away from him as like he flies away. So he's a jerk. <laughs> All right. So, so we skip back to or we go back to Han, Chewie, and Dr. Cody. She explains that they need the antivirus. Uh and she's like, I've got this thing, and she gives it to Han, and while she's giving it to Han, he's like, so how how effective is this? She's like, I don't know, I've never tested it. And of course, in Han, typical Han faction, he's like, what, what do you mean you've never tested it? Like, it's his, like, version of humor. Uh, and then she tries she tries to give it to Chewie. Chewie doesn't want it. And Han's like, yeah, Wookiees don't like needles. And he calms him down, and she gives Chewie the vaccine. Well... His throat starts swelling up like a balloon. Uh, there's a few seconds of like, oh, sweet, it worked. And then all of a sudden he starts screaming. His throat swells up like a balloon. And he has a crazy vision. Uh, this chapter is called Life Day. And he has this crazy vision. And I was going to read it. Huh? Are we on a different slide? No. Yes, Sorry. Uh, he has this crazy vision of life day. Uh, and I'll just read, I'll, I'll read this. It says, the first thing Chewbacca felt was the pain of the young ones. This is all inside his head. It came at him from everywhere at once. Uh, a threnody, threnody, threnody of wounded voices assailing him from all, all sides. He didn't know what it meant except that something bad had happened to him here aboard the barge and now it was something bad had happened here aboard the barge and now it was happening to him too. In a horrible way, he felt as if he were a part of it, complicit in these unspeakable crimes because of the injection the woman had given him. The sickness she'd implanted under his fur, under his skin, was alive and crawling through him, a living gray thing going up his arm to his shoulder to his throat. And the sickness clucked its tongue and whispered, yes, you did those things. Yes, you are those things. 
Had he done it? Had he somehow hurt them? But that couldn't be right. The doctor hadn't poisoned him. She'd injected him with a cure. Then why did it hurt so much? And why did he still hear the young one screaming? His skull felt like it was filling with fluid, blocking out his sense of smell. But his hearing was keener than ever. Voices were shrieking at him, no longer pleading, but accusing him of unspeakable atrocities. And when he looked down at his hands, he saw that they were dripping with blood, while a rank, salty flavor of their blood was in his mouth. And then the sickness was in him. And then the sickness wanted to eat. He snarled louder, lashed out, wanting to make it go away, but it was too deep already, burrowing through his memory, bringing back details he hadn't remembered in nearly 200 years. He heard the old Life Day songs from Kashyyyk, saw faces, old Atichuk, Calibo, his beloved Mala, except their faces were changing now, melting and stretching, mouse looking, hooking into strange, contemptuous grins. His father's eyes lit up upon him. Uh, saw all the shame and tried to hide. He saw all this, the shame and tried to hide. They knew that he was now that this, what he was now and that the sickness is, was inside of him and what the sickness would also make him do to the little ones. They knew how he would slaughter them in their cells and feast upon their steaming entrails, shoving them into his mouth without bothering to chew, enslaved by the sickness and its appetite. They saw the sickness could not be sated, how it wanted to keep on killing and eating until there was nothing left but blood that might be lapped up from the cold door still floors. They said, these are the true songs of life day. These songs are eat and kill, eat and kill. No, it's not true. It's not. Screaming louder, a deafening roar, at least in his own mind, he felt the oblivion, the oblivion of the sickness coming and was grateful for it. An opportunity to hide, to get away from the things he was experiencing. He did not try to escape. He ran toward it eagerly. So there you go. It's it's crazy stuff. So basically, uh, he's fighting. He falls over. He can't breathe. And Dr. Cody uh, pushes out the rest of the syringe, which wasn't very much, stabs it into his neck, and pulls the the syringe, like the, the plunge back, and sucks out like a massive amount of like dark green or dark gray pink fluid. And after like three or four times of doing that, the swelling went down and Chewbacca starts to come back to normal. So she, she gets the fluid out of him and he starts to return to normal. And then, uh, there's a second, there's a second part of the vision where it's even crazier, where the thing is like screaming at him in his head, but basically she saves his life. Uh, after that initial burst of the, the virus, Chewie is saved and now he's good to go. But it's just it's just like this really crazy moment out of nowhere. Right. Um they head back towards the turbo lift. Uh when Han asks about where the dead bodies the dead bodies are that Cody had mentioned. So she was like, Yeah, there's dead bodies all over the ship and stuff like that. She even mentions the guard that she got the blaster from. Well, then they, they go back to the turbo lift, no one's there. The dead bodies are gone. So then it says, Han grunted as the lift reached the infirmary level and stopped. Zahara remembered the corridor vividly, how it had been littered with bloated corpses of guards and stormtroopers who had died waiting to get into the med bay. Dozens of them, sometimes stuck to one another with the fluid that they'd been heaving up when they finally collapsed. The smell would have intensified too, she knew. She expected Han would say something, maybe cover his mouth and stand there a moment, taking it all in. 
the way that she had when she first laid eyes on it. The turbo lift stopped and the doors slid open in the hallway. Zahara braced herself for the shock and looking out felt a different type of shock go through her, quick and jolting, making her legs feel heavy and weak at the same time. All of the bodies were gone. Fun. So now we don't know where they are. They've disappeared. Everyone died and now they've disappeared. All right. Any questions in the chat? Nope. Sick. All right. So they make it to the med bay to find it completely empty. And Dr. Cody's like, yo, that's kind of crazy because when I left here, there were like 20 or 30 dead bodies. Nowhere. No one's there to be found. She can't even find waste. Huh? They're all gone. Yep. She can't even find waste. Like the droids missing too, which I thought this was such an interesting part of the story. Because you think, like, everything's going to happen. Like, in other zombie movies, everybody turns and they immediately start eating people. But, like, this was like, what the, like, where is, they all left. Like, where where did they go? Like, everything's empty. All the bodies are gone. Han asks uh, about how they're supposed to be getting out. And uh, Dr. Cody's like, well, there's a, because she tells him about the engines. And he, she's like, well... There's a Star Destroyer. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? There's a, what do you mean a Star Destroyer? She's like, yeah, we're docked with a Star Destroyer still. She tells him about that. Um, and then Han and her and Chewie ended up, they end up finding Waste, who is like super wrecked on the floor. Uh, he gurgles some things, uh, says some really incoherent things, and basically then says, uh, he calls them miracles. And then says to Dr. Cody, they all got up. They all got up. And then Cody turns around to address Han and Chewie, and they're gone. She's by herself. Classic. Uh, so then Trig and Kale go to find the store of weapons that they were supposed to sell to the gang that never got sold. So they find them. They find two blasters in the power packs. Um, they see absolutely nothing on the way there. There's absolutely no bodies. Um, and then they decide to head for the escape pod on the other side and Trig at one point, it's like, how do you know that there, uh, is a, an escape pod on the other side? And his brother's like, the Imperials always do things symmetrically. There's going to be another pod on the other side. And so they're like, we're going to go to the other side. They arrive at the sealed pod only to hear. So they make it there. Don't see anything, but then they hear something moving, moving up the hallway behind them. Uh, they hear some like feet rustling and stuff and some growls and stuff like that. And they're like literally about to like, they're raising their blasters and there's a part where like trig tricks, like he doesn't know if he can pull the trigger. He's never fired a blaster before and all this stuff. And it's like all this hype building. And then out comes Han and Chewie <laughs> and it's Han in an orange, uh, like containment suit and then Chewie. And, uh, they have this really funny interaction when they're like, yeah, you better stop. Like, uh, we're going to shoot you. And Han's like, no, you're not. Have you ever fired one of these things? He's like, you're not going to do it. And then like, he takes the blaster from Trig and then Kale tries to like bow up and like points about the blaster at Chewie. And Chewie just like kicks him and knocks the wind out of him and just grabs the blaster. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's over very fast. And they're about to jump into the pod, Han and Chewie. This is about to happen a second time to these kids. They're like, get out of the way. We're taking these pods and we're leaving. And I'm sorry, like, you're not coming with us. And then as they're about to do it, 
Dr. Cody shows up and she's like, you're not going to be able to do it. And they're like, what do you mean you're not going to be able to do it? She's like, you have to have the codes. And I think that there's a manual override in the pilot station, but that's the only way you're, you're going to be able to use the escape pod. Um, and then basically they're like, okay, so what do we do now? So we've got to go up and open the pod. And then Kale volunteers him and Trig to stay behind. He's like, okay, you guys go ahead. You Han and Chewie to Dr. Cody. He's like, you Han and Chewie go up there, unlock the pod. We'll stay here and make sure everything's good. And so they are together and then they're apart again. They, uh, they split apart after a brief moment. Um, there was a, there was a note that I made. Han and Chewie go up to unlock it and the boys stay behind. Oh yeah. So there's this exchange right before they split apart. Um, Dr. Cody Trig said, or Trig, Trig asked, she stopped and looked back. Is there anyone left else left beside us? She says, I don't think so. And Trig could tell from her expression that she'd been anticipating a different question. It wasn't, it wasn't until they were gone that he realized that what he should have asked her was what happened to all the dead bodies. Right. A better question. Uh, so the boys are standing there by the escape pod by themselves. And Kel explains like, cause Trig's like, why are we here? And Kel's like, I volunteered us to stay because as soon as they unlock the escape pod, we're going to confirm it on the comm link. And then we're going to take the escape pod and we're going to leave them behind. And of course, Trig is like, well, I feel really bad doing that. And then Kel's like, oh, it's because you, you, like like dr cody like you have feelings for her and he's freaking 13 and like he he it talks about he blushes and stuff but he's like no he's just like i just don't she like she seems nice and she like was there when our dad died and tried to help him and all this stuff right um but then suddenly a squid they described it as a shrill squeal uh cuts through the hallway from the other side of a sealed doorway sounded like some kind of a localized alarm or something so Kale decides to go check it out and takes the one blaster. So they had two blasters. Han and Chewie took one. Uh, and then Kale and Trig were allowed to keep one. So Kale takes that and he's like, I'm gonna go through, I'm gonna go look at uh what, what was making the noise. While uh Kale is gone, Trig looks, he's just kind of standing there bored, and he's like, Okay, I'm gonna look through the hatch of the escape pod, see what is in there. And then we have this. Uh, then inside the pod, something moved. Trig jerked his head back, his entire body stiff with shock. And he stumbled backward on unstable legs. His nerve endings seemed to have been replaced with hot copper wires, pulse racing, so that he could hear it clicking in his gullet. I didn't really see that, his brain word. The lights inside are just making it look like I did, but he held his breath, listening. There was a faint scratching sound coming from inside the pod. Trig looked, uh, took another step back until he felt his shoulders make contact with the opposite wall. His, eye roll, his eyes rolled over uh, to the doorway that Kale had gone through a few minutes earlier, but Kale wasn't back. There was no sign of him. And the scratching sound inside the pod was only getting louder and irregular, it was only getting louder, an irregular but insistent scraping of the fingers or claws against the inside of the hatch. As Trig listened, he realized it was becoming faster as well as louder, more eager, as if he knew 
he was out there and wanted to get out with him. Trigg realized he was squeezing the comm link hard enough to make his hand cramp. He lifted it up and thudded the power or thumbed the power switch. Dr. Cody. There was a long pause and then her voice came back, clear and strong. Trigg? Yeah. We're up on the bridge now. We're still looking for the override to open the pod. It shouldn't be much longer. Wait, Trigg said. Hold on. There's something inside the pod already. What's that? There's something in it. I can hear I can hear it scratching. Hold on, Trigg. Under the long silence, this one stretching out until Trigg thought he'd lost the signal. Then at last, Dr. Cody's voice said, Trigg, you there? Still here. I've got the bioscan running up here for the entire barge. Yeah? We're not picking up any life form reading inside that pod. Trigg stared at the hatch where the scraping had become maniacal clawing, and he could hear something else along with it, a wet, slobbering, toothsome sound, as if whatever inside was almost trying to gnaw its way out. Should have asked her about the dead bodies, he thought again, a little hysterically. Yeah, that probably would have been a good idea. The words drifted out of him like smoke. There's something in there. Missed that, Trigg. I said, okay, Dr. Cody's voice came. Here I go, I found the, the lock override. No, hold on, wait. There was a click, and the hatch swung open. Uh, so Kale comes back. Trigg's gone. Trigg, uh, this is the don't open the door part, by the way, in case you were wondering. I was curious. Yeah, we're, we're literally at the end of part three, almost at part four. So Kale comes back. Trigg is gone. He calms Dr. Cody. He finds the comm link, and he asks Dr. Cody about it, and she checks the scanner. She tells him there's a life form in a corridor up ahead. So uh, he walks up the corridor, and he's like, yo, there's nothing here. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing here. And she's like, no, it's like right. It's like 15 feet. You're one of your sides. And he looks, and there's a maintenance shaft. He's like, oh, okay, hold on. Let me look. So he opens up the maintenance shaft and talks about how like this just disgusting smelling hot air like hits him in the face. There's a lot of that. There's like a lot of conveying like the visceral just disgust that comes along with these things. Um, and then Trig basically he's like, "Hey, Trig, are you in there?" Blah 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 blah. And there's no response for a little bit, and then out of nowhere, Trig flies out like kicking and screaming and sobbing. And like attacks Kale before he sees who it is. And he's on top of him and he's kicking and screaming. And he was like, the book's like, if it weren't for Kale's reflexes, there was a possibility that like uh, Trig could have killed him with some of the momentum that he had. And he ends up uh, basically comforting him and trying to, to calm him down. But like Trig is hysterical, absolutely hysterical. Um, but the, the end of the chapter, he's like, Listen, it's going to be okay. I won't let anything bad happen to us. Okay, I promise. But the thought of the bloody handprint, so there was a bloody handprint on the wall outside of the pod, came back to him again, and he realized that for the first time in his life, he made a promise to his brother that he knew he couldn't keep. Family reunion. You ready? Yep. This is when things get even crazier. It's like, right, you know, we've had some, we've had some moments. Uh... But we haven't had the uh, the moments yet. Now my my tablet is now telling me ask, asking me if I want to turn it off, and I don't with my notes on it. 
stand by. Are there any uh, questions in the chat? Anybody saying anything? Nope. Just Will saying, ooh, you have a crush. In quotations. <laughs> so, yeah. I think Drew doesn't have a head right now. Oh, goodness. I, I don't know. <laughs> Drew, you good, man? Oh, his, his uh, headphones aren't on, are they? Nope. He's shedding a layer. The story's getting to him. Oh, smooth head. Smooth oh, head. smooth, smooth. Smooth head. Smooth. Exciting. There it is. <laughs> it's hot in here. Apparently. All right. We're back. I don't know. The, the tablet that I'd written my notes on just like glitched for a second. Thanks for hanging in. All right. But of course it didn't save my page. That's great. Nothing beats an old pad of paper and a pencil. You know what's ironic about this? This is a pad that is just a um, like a writing pad. It's like a digital writing pad called Remarkable. Right. So that's remarkable how it still went to sleep. Shut your. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We're already on pace to be like over three hours. So (laughs) story is totally worth it. People are gonna listen, anyways. All right, so it transitions to Han, Chewie, and Dr. Cody in the bridge, right? Suddenly, uh, they're talking about how, like, the thrusters are just completely, they're completely dead. Han's like, yeah, like, there's no way this barge is going anywhere. Um, Suddenly, the computer chimes in and informs Dr. Cody that it is now picking up new life forms, okay? So she's like, okay, show me. So the holographic map appears, uh, and then Han said, what the... The three-dimensional, multi-level outline of the vessel, previously an empty, almost elegant intersection of clean, digitized spaces and lines, was now crawling with blood-red pinpricks of flashing light. They were moving together, bunched and swarming up from the lower detention blocks in mass, advancing level by level toward the admin area. In the hologram, at least, they appeared to be seething forward at a disproportionate insectile speed. So, Devutuist asked earlier, I think, in the chat, like, are these fast zombies? They're incredibly fast. Nice. Wait a second, Han said. What are those things? She shook her she shook her head. Life forms. Thanks, Doc. He said. Got anything more specific? Or are we supposed to fill just fill in the blanks? Sahara stared at the clusters of tiny lights, each one an independent organism. They were moving faster than she could believe, coming up the stairwells, ventilation ducts, and utility shafts. That's impossible. They weren't there before. How come you uh she's talking to the computer? How come you didn't pick up on them earlier? There were no positive life forms earlier, Dr. Cody. So then she's like, where did they, uh, where did they come from? And then she realized, she remembers what Waste told her about quorum sensing. She's like, they waited until they had multiplied enough. And then they all came back to life, essentially. So then they're like, okay, uh, so how many, Han's like, okay, how, how many ways are there out of here? She's like, uh, the door we just came in. <laughs> That's it. And he's like, but they're coming, they're coming that way. And she's like, yeah, there's, there's the docking shaft too, up into the Star Destroyer, the ghost ship, but this is the only other way out, right? Um, she realizes they're rapidly leading towards the admin level, the stairs to the admin level that lead right up to the bridge. Um, and then there's this scene 
Uh, then she heard them coming. It was a thunderous, bullying shriek charged with rage and hunger and condensed down to a solid wall of inhuman noise. It stiffened the blood in her veins. They were rising up from the admin level, pounding up the steps. Zahara looked for forward to see uh, to where she knew the docking shaft stood. As she whirled back to look in the direction of Han and Chewbacca, yelling that they needed to get out of here, now she saw Kale Longo burst through the half-open shaft leading up to the admin level, hauling his younger, brother younger brother's body in his arms. Run, Kale shouted. He And he himself was running so hard, so frantically, that his feet barely seemed to touch the ground. His head was on some kind of loose pivot, spinning to look everywhere at once, and his eyes were almost perfectly round with dread. Trig flopped and jostled in his arms. Zahara thought she'd never seen someone look so terrified in her life. Uh, and so Han and Chewie, they get through the door. Han and Chewie then manually have to shut the doors. They start going towards the docking shaft, and the chapter ends with the line, uh, that was when the sliding door that Han and Chewie had just pulled closed exploded wide open. Ba, ba, ba. Nothing, nothing. Wow, it's fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so basically, they they jump in, they close the door, the door bursts open. They're all just, I mean, like hauling tail to get the to the docking shaft at this point, because there's now a flood of dead bot reanimated dead bodies coming towards them. They're almost to the the uh, shaft when uh, Trig looks up and sees his father. Oh, dang. Family reunion, baby. Von Longo was staggering towards them in a shambling half run like something that had been wrenched three different ways at once, wrenched and broken at the hips and shoulders. He was surrounded by a group of prisoners and guards, except Kale saw with dawning horror they weren't prisoners and guards anymore, not exactly, and neither was the old man. His dead yellow skin was molted with two weeks' worth of morgue rot. His skull grotesquely swollen and partially collapsed on one side, so Kale, that Kale could see very clearly the grinning hinge of the old man's jaw clicking in its socket. Kale couldn't move. For what felt like an eternity, he watched his father stagger swaying toward him with with that horrible clutching gait his face lit up with a kind of drooling familiar eagerness at last kale broke out of his paralysis and screamed scrambling to his feet propelling himself back back in the direction of the shaft he saw solo and w the wookie pulling trig inside but they were looking over and beyond him into the corridor from which the noise was coming as if in a dream he saw that dr cody's face had gone completely white with fright Kale saw the doctor reach up and cover Trigg's eyes with her hands, and then he felt something grab his leg. He didn't even hear himself scream. Cool. We are now in part four, Things You Don't Forget. Imagine you haven't seen your dad. He's two weeks. In he's two weeks. Yeah. And all of a sudden he starts walking, and you're like, Oh, what? He's actually not dead in them. Wait, he's actually really dead. But it's just interesting that, that the virus or whatever is able to reanimate already dead bodies. Yeah. What's even more interesting is the other things the virus can do. There's more. 
I saw Drew reach for it. I was like, I'm going to pause for a dramatic effect. All right. Part number four, things you don't forget. We've been, we've been building. I tell you that. <laughs> uh, we've been building, and this is the craziest part of the book. If you thought things were crazy before, emotionally charged before, this is the craziest part of the book. Are we ready, Jeremiah? How you feeling? You feeling good? I'm hoping it goes quick. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah. Sorry, sorry for everyone out there who's feeling like this is too long. All right. Uh, Kale comes up, or Kale comes to, excuse me. So he wakes up. Kale's, a, Kale's asleep. He wakes up, only to find that he was bitten while coming up the shaft. Bitten by his own father in the leg. Which Fun. is rough. So rough kiss goodbye, I tell you that. Funny says. Han tells everyone that they're coming up the shaft, so they hear a noise in the shaft. This it's been sealed, but he's like, yo, I'm hearing them. They're coming up the shaft. Like we've we've got to get out of here. He suggests that uh maybe they can work to get the starters removing again and they can break away and they can fly away that way. He thinks they're safe. Uh Kale can't walk because of his leg. So after a very emotional moment. Uh, between him and his brother Han, Chewie, and Trig split off, leaving Cody and Kale behind by the shaft. So they're like, "You got Doctor Cody's going to stay with Kale because he's injured," and the rest of them are like, "We're going to go find the engines uh, and get everything running. See if we can get the Star Destroyer moving." Oh, yeah, I, I forgot a, that the ship is not working. <laughs> yeah, the, they they can't use the barge, and so uh, there's a moment where Han's like. Uh, you fly one ship, you can fly them all. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, okay, sure. Uh, uh, the chat was asking, does, at this point, the doctor still have the vaccine that she got from no. Chewy on her? No. So, remember, she gives some to Han. She gives the other bit to Chewy, And then to save his life, she has to squirt the remainder of it out. And then use the syringe to suck the fluid out of Chewie's neck. So there is no more of the virus. So Chewie was affected. He was, but she saved his life and now he's immune. But Han wasn't affected. No. He, she just gave it to Han and he was fine. So Han and Chewie are both immune at this point. I just love that they never even mentioned this in A New Hope or anything. Yeah. Remember the one time when all these zombies chased us? Yeah, like a year ago when we had like the most terrifying experiences of our life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, so uh Han, Chewie, and Trig are walking away th- through this huge hangar. They're finally walking away, and there's there's a moment where Trig's like he can just barely see them off in the distance, and then uh as they're about to leave the hangar, they hear terrible screaming from where they came from in the hangar. This like rising and falling scream. Can I get a fun Jeremiah? Fun. Hey. <laughs> uh, that t-shirt. Yeah, fun. fun. Zahara jerked sideways and stared back at the docking shaft. The screaming coming from inside the shaft was inhuman. It was shrill and sharp and hateful, comprising of maybe hundreds of voices pitched up together. And then there's like uh, 11 E's together, you know, like that sort of thing. I'm not going to do it. But in the the audiobook, the scream that they put in the background was like really, it was really creepy. 
It oscillated in a waveform that the mathematical part of her mind insisting on grafting, raising up to squeeze her eardrums, sloping towards silence, uh, and then coming up again to the same frequency of precision dynamics. Kale groaned. He was muttering something. She leaned down to listen, cut it off. She looked at him startled by what she understood him to be saying. And in case she didn't understand, he was fully awake now, staring at her, pointing to his bandaged leg. Doc, please, you have to. Another scream do- uh, dopplered by, and she waited until it ended. And then he says to, to cut it off. She's like, not necessarily. That's not necessary. Not right now. And he's like, I can feel it coming th- up through me. You have to. His eyes were bright and scared and absolutely lucid. Please, I don't care how much it hurts. Just do it. Cut it off. Uh, and basically there's this moment, she's like, how bad is your pain? And of course, the whole time this conversation is happening, the screaming is rising, literally rising and falling. So like, they don't, it's not silent. It's like, everything's hitting the fan at once. She's like, how is your, how bad is your pain? And he goes, there is no pain. And she's like, what? He's like, it's not like that. It doesn't hurt. I can just feel it. Where am I? And he starts to say, dad, where it bit me. His eyes were very wide now, glittering like broken glass. And she could hear the whistle of air through his nose as he lost the battle to panic unwrap it at least so i can see it i'll show you and she's like i need to keep the pressure on the and he's like he yells it's coming through me and he sat up and he grabs the bloody tourniquets from his calf ripping them off in layers sahara tried to stop him and he shoved her back without so much as a backward glance intent on peeling away the canvas strips that she'd torn from her own jacket the last of them fell away in a sodden red heap see kale's face was flushed with a horrible triumph i told you Zahara stared at it. There was a fist-sized chunk of flesh missing from the, the meaty part of his lower leg, the exposed shin bone gleaming visibly through a web of the torn muscle and viscera. The puckered flesh around the wound had gone bruised, a bruised, gangrenous gray. She found herself washing in, fa- in fascinated horror as the same gray hue uh, began to reach up his leg, past the knee, to his thigh, uh, causing it to pulsate visibly, visibly with the gelatinous vitality. It was like a hand sliding up underneath his skin, reaching eagerly, eagerly up towards his torso. Ugh. So she can see it moving under him. Like and worm. he's like, huh? Like a worm. Yeah. He's like, yo, you got to cut it off. And it starts to, to reach up towards his belly button. And she's like, all right, I'm going to do something. So she, she pulls out uh, her medical kit, pulls out a scalpel. And she's basically like, I'm sorry. And she cuts him open right below his belly button without any sort of anesthesia. He's awake. She cuts through his muscles. She sticks her hand in, digs into his muscles underneath his belly button. And then it talks about how she can feel this gelatinous mass moving and it touches her hand. And she doesn't know what to do. So she squeezes it as hard as she can. It bursts gets all over her like hand and her forearm and like like at this point kale is like screaming in pain still hasn't passed out yet um (laughs) it's freaking crazy uh the screams were becoming deafening at this point and kale had gone pale uh didn't mean to rhyme that, but she's like, all right, look, I got to go back. I got to stick my hand back in again just to make sure I got it. She sticks her hand in to make sure she doesn't feel anything else moving. And at that point, Kale had started. He had finally passed out. Like he was, he was out. <laughs> so if that's not intense enough, uh, 
that was when she realized after all of that, the screaming had stopped in the docking shaft. But then somewhere from all the way across the Star Destroyer, something was screaming back. Nothing? I was waiting for you to tell me what's going on. I don't know. Oh, okay. All right, so Han, Chewie, and Trig continue to walk down these completely empty hallways. They find they talk about finding like a protocol droid that almost got shot and some random service droids and stuff. They found these two helmets, uh, one of which was uh, hanging from a chain, which is where they get this. this I'm pretty sure they get this visual from. But well, like that was like the first that was part of the first cover, yeah. Yeah. Um, the new cover is so much better. Huh? The new cover is so much yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so they talk about basically not finding anything. They found another blaster or whatever, so they're they continue to go through these empty corridors. Um they stumble upon a stack of shipping crates labeled Imperial Biological Weapons Division. There are, and when they look inside the crates, there are these tanks. There are some red ones, some bright red ones that are empty. And then there are a bunch of jet black ones that have something in it. And Chewie picks up one of them and he feels a sloshing motion inside of it, almost as if it was alive. So they put those down. Obviously, they're not going to mess with those. Um, Suddenly, they hear a rising scream accompanied by a terrible rumbling directly above them. The door is still above them. All of a sudden, the ceiling buckles open. Uh, and then there was another quote, but I won't, I, I'll skip this one for now. But basically, the, the ceiling buckles open, triggers directly below it, and the things start trying to grab like through the ceiling and pull him up. Han and Chewie start fighting or start firing the blasters. And it talks about in the book, like they fired so much that the hallway was filled with smoke. And the things just like were dropping through. And so at that point, they're like, huh, gotta go. And they all start running. So are they, they get, are the zombies dying when they get shot? No. Or they just, no matter what, there's nothing, no way to kill them with blasters. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's what the sense you're getting in the book. It's interesting because well, in especially because they like the virus affected dead things. Yeah. So yeah. it has nothing to do with like cutting a brain off or anything like that. But like it's also it's also one of those things that like even if you mobilize one, there's a hundred more to take its place. Like it won't die. Like you can shoot the legs off of it, but it'll try to claw its way. You know, you can shoot the arms off and it'll just stay there, but then there's ten more. It's it's like a numbers and, and invulnerability game. And the virus is more like a sentient being almost like it's yeah. it's interesting too because in the Red Harvest book, uh th they do kill a few of them, but it's they only do that by like completely shattering their skulls. So but it's also the one in the that book is a it's a different virus well, altogether. Say, isn't that a different virus? Though? Yeah, it's a whole different thing. But anyways, uh so they're like, yo, we gotta go. They dive behind a hatch, seal it shut. Han does the thing where he shoots it again. Classic Han shoots the, the panel beside the wall to lock it. And they're like, whoo, that was tough. And then the things hit the door and they're like, nope. And they just keep running. <laughs> they're just like, no, nah, we're not we're not staying here for that. All right, so we cut to now Satoris, who's in the skate pod. He's been there for four hours. 
he wakes up and he's like, yo, what happened? So yeah. he remembers They're that instead of... Point. Why wouldn't they just put the blasters on stun? I don't think it would have worked. But would it not, like, stun the... Maybe, but I think Han and Chewie were more so like, we need to utterly destroy these things. Yeah, but it wasn't working, so what if you just stunned them and they couldn't chase you? I don't know. I, I didn't even think about that when I was reading the book, but that, I feel like that might work. I wouldn't have tried to stun them. I would well, have just tried. You gotta try everything. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta shoot the kneecaps. Then they can't walk. And then shoot their hands off. They just have nubs uh so we 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 uh transition to sartorius who wakes up in the skate pod he's like yo what happened he's been there for four hours he realizes well come to find out instead of jettisoning off into space like it was supposed to it basically did a u-turn the escape pod and went straight back into the sartorius hangar and he realizes the reason for that is because a tractor beam had been turned on. <laughs> That's nice. So, so he literally is like, boop, 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 and then just U turns straight into the Star Destroyer. He crashes into the deck. Uh, he lands on the deck of the, the hangar. He crashes, and his legs pinned for a little bit. But he's able to get he's able to get free. He pops the hatch open, uh, and he realizes that he has landed in between an old X wing and a Tie Fighter that is up on one of its its wings so it's sitting up sideways he's like wedged between the tie fighter and an x-wing and then he looks out x-wing in there huh i said why did they have an x-wing in there we'll get to that i I, i'll i'll tell you but that would spoil everything else so why don't i remember that you will uh, so suddenly he, he's looking around, he's taking in his surroundings. Suddenly a chorus of screams erupts, uh, pulsate, pulsating every few seconds. Um, basically he, he realizes that he is very quickly, uh, be, he's become surrounded. Uh, Sorry, the screams he heard now didn't sound like anything you'd ever heard. Blah 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 blah. Uh, that was when the shooting started. Sorry. So then he started hearing shooting. Who's uh, who started hearing shooting? Sartorius. Okay. He started hearing shooting. Oh boy. Here we go, Drew. This is uh, definitely one of those moments. So we cut back to Doctor Cody and Kale. Shooting starts erupting from inside the, the, the docking tube. Uh, frantically, to get away from it, Dr. Cody pulls Kale up underneath his arms. He's still unconscious and starts trying to frantically drag him backwards away from the docking tube. Uh, which in and of itself is just like straight out of a, it's like a scene out of a horror movie like Jurassic Park or something. Oh, here we go. Uh, okay. The hole in the shaft. Uh, so they there was a there was an initial crack through the shaft, like a blaster bolt 
got through. Um, and it says, she pulled him along faster, running backwards so she could keep an eye on the shaft. At that moment, the first bolt of blaster fires pierced the docking shaft's outer shell. She simultaneously heard and felt it recoiling through the door steel floors, a sizzling crack that left a black gash in the wall of uh, the tower like a crooked idiot grin aiming emitting a tiny puff of smoke then another explosion bursts through it and another the smell of cooked metal already wafting uh, wafting through the ozone smell and acrid smoke that she associated with broken machinery there was another series of blasts even bigger some heavier gauge artillery followed by a swarm of shrapnel spitting through the air in front of her face she kept moving backward knocking not looking away the hole in the shaft was big enough now that she could see the inside of the shaft leering out at her as their hands gripped the hot, uh, see them inside the shaft leering out at her as their hands gripped the hot, twisted durasteel and tried to peel it back. They had packed the shaft with their bodies, prison inmates still in their uniforms, human and non-human alike, guards, administrators no longer segregated, but jammed together with a pressing, eager confederacy they'd lacked in life. She could already see their faces, sagging lips, wrinkled noses, dead yellow eyes lit up with a kind of stupid animal cr cunning. A scaly green arm came out clutching a blaster rifle and fired a shot blindly across the hangar. The red streak fading off in the distance, slamming into something too far off to register. More blasters fired inside the tube, widening the hole they'd created, making it longer and bigger on all sides. So she falls. Tr uh, Kale falls with her. Then she gets up, uh, but she made the mistake of not looking or not like looking at the shaft. And then she looks back at it again. Uh, the blaster, th that's when they started crawling out. The blaster twisted hole they created in the shaft was jagged and they cut themselves along the way. Twisted spikes of dura steel slashing the uniforms and gouging deep into the pouch sacks of rotten innards that were their bodies. One of them, a guard whose face she vaguely recognized from his visits to the infirmary, was instantly impaled and hung there flailing while the others scrambled over him. In her arms, Kale groaned, tried to straighten his body, worthing around uh, to look at her and then fell slack again. He was trying to talk to her, he realized, despite his injuries, he actually found the strength to shout, but she still couldn't hear him over the blasters. Uh, so he asks her to let him go. Um, she's, no, she said, not concerned with whether he had heard her or not. Or not. The important thing was that she'd said it to herself. She wasn't leaving in here. In front of her, perhaps six meters away, three dead guards and maybe a dozen dead inmates paused as if acclimating to their new environment. Then they broke into a loose, shambling, open mouth run straight at her, arms swinging, legs clanging, firing all the way. They were getting already getting better at it. The shots were actually getting close to hitting her now. Drop me, Kel screamed. Just go. Run. Shut up, she thought. Her adrenaline hit hard, erupting through her skull base, and her backward run became a backward sprint, her legs not even feeling like part of her now, padding, paddling the floor beneath her with crazy blurring speed. The things were receding, trying to run, but not as fast as she was. She could outrun them all, even dragging Kale behind her. She, there was another metallic jolt, and Kale jerked violently in her arms and fell still. Fell still. She stopped running, aware of a damp warmness spreading throughout her lower torso and legs. Everything below her waist was soaked in blood. She looked down. The right half of Kale's face was gone, a pulped half-moon. The broken skull protruded from his scalp like shattered terracotta, the jawbone dangling crookedly on one hinge. 
He'd taken the shot that would have torn straight through her abdomen. His good eye rolled up, fogging over. Already she smelled the terrible sweet odor of her cauterized hair and skin. As his head swung down, Zahara saw that the left side of his face was almost completely untouched, except for a single freckle of scarlet under his eye. There was a muffled snarl, and she looked up again. In front of her, the things were moving faster now, motivated by fresh bloodshed. Zahara dropped him and fled. Fun. (laughs) R.I.P. That part, to me, I never saw that coming. Yeah. I when I was reading the book the first time, I was like like they're going to make it. Like Kale's going to make it. And then, like the the thing about this is like and it was like this with the other book too. The part where she's like the things were receding trying to run but not as fast as she could. She could outrun them all, even dragging Kale behind her she and then there's like a break. It's at the bottom of a page. And it was in the original for me too, I think. I'm pretty sure. So like you're like, oh, okay, whatever. And you turn the page and you're like, oh my gosh. Like it just comes out of nowhere. And then it's like you've grown to really like this character and now half of his face is gone. You said that's how the chapter ends? The chapter ends with Zahara dropped him and fled. So Kale's Kale's gone. R.I.P. Kale. And that's that was stray shots. That were at? Uh, no. Or that detours? That was... That was actually between the two of those. I totally forgot to put that in there. <laughs> okay. But anyways, Kale's gone. And his brother wasn't watching over him. We'll get to that in a second, too. Uh, in the process of, find, of trying to find the command bridge, Trig, Han, and Chewie find themselves at the main engine turbine for the Star Destroyer. So it's a big circular opening. The hole is so big that uh, they can't see the bottom of the uh, the bottom of it or the other side in the semi darkness. Han and Chewie are like, they're like, how how are we going to get by or get across? Because Han's like, I swear on the other side of this is the conning tower, and then we're going to be able to go up. And Trig's like, okay, how are you going to get across? And there's this like super small catwalk gangplank around the edge of the circle. And it's like a few feet deep and there's no handrails. And they're like, oh, we'll take this around. And Trig's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And they're like, you have to. And so Trig gives it a shot. And then ultimately he chickens out and he's like, I can't do it. So Han and Chuby go up. They, they start walking. Trig stays there. Uh, and while he's waiting by he's just kind of chilling waiting by the edge of the thing he realizes that far below in this big pit there are thousands of those creatures waiting just they're all in there thousands of them uh and uh basically realizes like that's where the crew of the star destroyer went they all ended up here somehow well then he turns around he feels something watching him and he turns around and he sees his brother. Um, but you, you get it, the sense from the book that he only sees the left side of his face. It, the book like makes it a point that he's like at a profile or at like a certain angle where he like, he just sees Mm -hmm. his brother and he's like, yo, uh, like kale, like what, what the heck is going on? He runs after him. Uh, 
and then he sees Kale go through a door, and he steps through it. Kale, it's his voice broke off with a choke. The chamber was even darker than the concourse he'd left behind. At first glance, it appeared as big as the abyss he'd refused to cross, but this was some kind of main refuse depository. A mountain of trash rose up to the ceiling, and the fetid, brown, excremental stink simmering off its peak was beyond nauseating. Trig clamped his hand over his mouth and looked around through watering eyes, trying to keep them from gagging. He couldn't see his brother in here, but Kale had just come inside second later, seconds earlier. Kale, he said, strangely hesitant to shout in here, it's me. What are you doing in here? Behind him, the hatch sealed shut. So now he's in the trash pile room, mm-hmm. and he's trapped, and it smells really, really bad. But it wasn't trash. Those bodies. Shh. Dude. I mean, I'm literally... Anyways, Trey came to the realization as he took another step toward the mountain, hoping to find some trace of kale around the other side. That was when his toe struck something soft and yielding, and he glanced down and it saw it was a human leg. Very slowly, he looked up. The leg was connected to a torso, covered up by another and another, the pile growing in front of him, comprising um, what he realized was hundreds of dismembered corpses, heads, arms, legs, and whole bodies, bare bones, many of them still dressed in rotted, uh, Imperial uniforms and incomplete stormtrooper armor. The pile rose up to the ceiling. Details leapt out at him from everywhere. The bodies had been man- uh, mangled like parts uh, in an abater. Some of them in handcuffs and manacles. Others hacked recklessly into pieces. Still others looking partially devoured while whole goblets of flesh gnawed off. Many of the parts were bloated to the point where the skin itself had become to split like sausages. And Trigg realized that he was standing in a tacky puddle of whatever had leaked out of them to coat the floor. He felt the room starting to spin. A scream ballooned in his throat and died there, stuffed out by his own inability to open his lips and release it. Instead, he stumbled backward, trying not to look at what was in front of him, all around him, wanting not to be there, but unable to get away from it. Somewhere behind him was the door he'd come through, the hatchway that would get him out of there, but he couldn't find the switch to activate it. He began slapping the walls blindly at random, pounding them, and and nothing changed. Uh, so then, uh, for the sake of time, I'll, I'll save this next description. But basically, uh, something in a stormtrooper helmet slowly shambles out. It pushes its way out of the, the pile and comes toward him. And uh, he realized he realizes that uh, the only way out, he looks up and he sees a vent at the very top of the room. And he realizes that I'm not going to find the door. There's something in here in this stormtrooper helmet that wants to kill me. And he has to climb the pile of bodies. So that's literally uh, the last part. He sa- it says... Uh, Trigg looked around in a kind of mild hysteria. His heart was slamming, trying to smash a hole through his chest, muscles in his throat working up and down uh, wildly. I'm going to start bawling again. Well, go ahead and cry. I suppose you've earned it. But he realized his eyes were dry. At last, at the top of a pile, because uh, he, uh, he realizes the thing was crawling up after him, and he was like, 
uh, at last at the top of a pile of human bodies, he had arrived at a place beyond tears. There was a small whistling, breathing noise below him, and he looked down and he saw that the thing in the trooper's helmet was still climbing up the mountain of bodies. Trig looked back and forth through the open duck, then picked a direction and began to crawl. So he makes it up. There's a really disgusting scene right before this where it talks about how nauseating and like just how he was like trying to suppress his gag reflex the entire time uh, up the mountain. It's really disgusting, but really impactful. Uh, so we're back to Sar- Sartorius now after that, uh, who is now surrounded. The things had made it over. They made it over across the hangar to him, and he's now surrounded. He's let them get on all sides of him, and uh, he jumps into the X-Wing's cockpit to hide. A dumb move, because the canopy doesn't shut. It's broken, which he realizes too late. Uh, apparently, some of the Wookiees, uh, one of the one or two of the zombie Wookiees from earlier had made it up, and right as they're about to, like, uh, grab his neck with their claws. He realizes that the X-Wing is still on, like it turns on. He fires the cannons of the X-Wing, which, while it's stationary, basically knocks it backwards because of how powerful the cannons are, knocking all the zombies off of the X-Wing. Uh, he realizes that he has been thrown back against an Imperial transport, and knowing that there's a hatch, he jumps out of the X-Wing in a moment of... of you know, like a, a moment of the break from the zombies. And then he gets to the hatch, is able to open it up, drops down in and slams it shut behind him. Uh, and immediately hears the things like clawing and shooting at the outside of this Imperial troop transport. Just as the things arrive uh, inside the transport, he finds an extremely malnourished group of Imperial uh, soldiers who he founds he finds out they had been inside the transport for 10 weeks. Uh, so there's a commander, Commander Gorster, uh, tells him the entire story of what happens. And this is when uh, you get a lot of the backstory of like how the Star Destroyer uh, became the way it was. Um, we left megalamine hauling top secret freight experimental military grade ordinance for the empire all the usual caveats on lord vader's on directive our destination was a testing based on kanji 7 outside the burnt the brunet system but we never got through the mid rim he took a breath and let it out with great effort at first the breach seemed minor and then it appeared that our engineers were able to confine it some of our scientists were even able to study the effects it had on human physiology the lungs and larynx in particular we assumed that they had it contained. He paused and cleared his throat, but that turned out not to be the case for long. The infection spread quickly throughout the entire Star Destroyer. Soon no one was, a sa- soon no one was safe. And uh, it says, wait a second, Sartor said, you're telling me that there are 10,000 more of those nightmares staggering around up there? And he goes, oh my goodness, no. Some of us did manage to escape, obviously, or tried to. And a few showed signs of natural immunity. Using their blood, our medical officers were able to synthesize an antivirus. I'm guessing yours probably did too, based on the the fact that you're still here. We slid off part of this ship and injected ourselves with the antivirus. At first, it seemed like there w- would be enough to go around. Uh, another thin and ghastly attempt at a smile. It didn't last as long as we hoped. There was more in the bio lab, but of course, we couldn't get back to retrieve it. That was when the plan began to change somewhat. Of course, many of the crew were eaten before they could change over, torn to pieces and well consumed, I guess I suppose is the word. 
At first, we tied together, tried to gather up the remains. We put them in a waste facility, chopped them up, thought it might be a way to keep them from changing, you know, and even that wasn't always successful. But in the end, we were outnumbered and there wasn't really anything to do but run. Uh, he flashed a cold, flat glance up until up at Sartorius until they found out how to activate the tractor beam. Sartorius says, basically says, they can think? That's crazy. Uh, he said, oh, it's madness, Gorister agreed, blinking at him with a mo the mildest of curiosity. All I know is that they were waiting for us inside the hangar when we came back in. The first man out of the hatch got his head ripped off at the shoulders. After that, we, see we sealed ourselves back in, sent a distress signal, and settled out to wait. Uh, he says, there were 30 of us originally. Now we're down to seven, including myself. Uh, we keep trying to make calm contact, but all frequencies are jammed. I believe that also might be a deliberate countermeasure on their part. Uh, he says, they learn, you see, that's part of it. And uh, he said, those things out there, Satorius asked, but they're animals. He says, in, in the beginning, perhaps, but consider, the ones that changed on board the destroyer 10 weeks ago don't even bother attacking the shuttle's reinforced Durasteel armor with blasters anymore. They've already grasped the fact that it doesn't work. It's the new arrivals, the inmates and the prison guards, who are out there shooting uh, at us now. And if you listen, you'll see that they've already stopped too, which they had. I think it has something to do with the sickness, the commander said, the way it was initially designed. They form clusters, tribes, swarms, and they communicate with one another. I'm sure you've heard it, the screaming. Uh, and they're all able to adapt at the same time, some kind of system-wide upgrade. Uh, so yeah. And then Sartorius is like, wait a second, what happened to the rest of your men? And uh, come to find out, they cannibalized them inside the prison the prison transport and the chapter ends with two of the ones two of the the remaining guards sneaking up behind sartorius while the story was being told and grabbing him and sealing his hands from behind because they've got fresh meat baby nice yep all right so zahara we we switch back to her what chapter are we on now Uh, sorry. There we go. We are now on Biolab 242. Oh. Mountain climbing oh. is obvious. X-Wing is also obvious. Rag and Bone is the dilapidated men. And then Biolab 242. Sorry. Uh, so Zahara had been running for a long time. She stops for a break. She's realized, she realizes she's outside of a Biolab. Uh, after looking around for a short while, she taps the key on a data station slowly the wall opens to reveal a chamber on the other side of a thick uh, on the other side of a thick plane of glass um so then basically there are these two bodies that are hanging connected by tubes they're just hanging there and they're dead they had been left there to die while they were being ex uh experimented on she suddenly hears something behind her, but sees nothing. Uh, so the, the bodies start to move. There's some fans that turn on, and her smell gets brought into the vat that they're in, hanging. And they start, they, they wake up at her smell, and they start swinging back and forth and hitting the wall and trying to, like, get to her. And they start screaming. And uh, she hears something behind her, 
but sees nothing. Then that thing, whatever it is, moves again. She sees it briefly, but can't really make it out. And then it disappears. She sees a group of syringes, uh, her only weapons, and she bolts for them. She turns, uh, she grabs the syringes and turns. A creature is standing right behind her uh, who once resembled a research worker. She stabs one syringe in the side of its head and one straight through its eye and plunges whatever was in both of them. And uh, it, in a weird way, brings some semblance of humanity back to the thing for a brief moment. And it tries to communicate, but it can't speak. And then it tries to write something on the floor with one of the needles, but it doesn't quite work because the needle breaks. Like it's not fully human, but he's trying to uh, communicate with her. And she's like trying to figure this out. And then while she's watching it, it turns back full zombie mode and attacks her, jumps on her. uh, And then as uh, she's about to, she feels like she's about to die. Another 2-1-B medical droid saves her with a surgical saw. Uh, who the, she then is like, waste, you came back. And it's like, it's not the same droid, but she thinks it's the same droid and it's kind of this sweet moment. And then she's like, yo, you need to tell me what happened here. Like, what's going on? And it's like, I don't know anything. I'm just a surgical droid. And she's like, okay, well, where can I find a data terminal? that I can access this stuff. And it's like, yeah, uh, you, there's one uh, in the hangar control bay above the main hangar. And she's like, oh, great. Well, I guess I'm going to do that. And she leaves towards that. Uh, so then a sudden blast, we're switching back to Sartorius now inside the transport. A sudden blast knocks him free of his, his captives. So in that moment, he sees uh, a moment of self-realization from the commander's face. But while he's free for a second, he unlocks the hatch nearby and uses Gorster as a ram. Uses his head as a ram. It says his skull gives way to open the hatch and flings him off the side into the mob. Uh, Then he picks up another one of the Imperials in the shuttle. And it makes a point to talk about how light they were because they were malnourished. And how Sartorius could pull them up with one hand and flings another one out into into the mob. As a sacrifice. So how long um, were they in there? Huh? How long were they in there? Ten weeks. They're that scrawny. Yeah. What? Well, again, I'm 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 like skirting over a lot of the details, but basically they're skin and bone. Even with the fact that they ate their their comrades. Uh, the third person he pulls up, a guard named White, pleads for his life, and Sartorius listens to him, and he's like. All right, here's what I'm going to do. You get this this transport as ready to go as you possibly can. And he's like, well, what about the, the tractor beam? And he's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of that. And he sees an opening because of the two bodies that he's thrown. He jumps down and makes a mad dash out of the hangar. Um, and then he finds, uh, it, it talks about when he hits the ground, there's like a jolt of pain, but he keeps running. And then he finds a hover lifter, like a hover cart that he can ride on and he realizes that in that moment when he finally has a chance to sit for a second that he's been bitten he was bitten when he was coming down from the transport oh boy trig finally uh so we're at uh faces below now barrel of monkeys was all of them in the transport if you can tell trig finally meets 
Uh, the, huh? Oh, I was just laughing. Oh. Shriek finally meets the ending of the shaft he was crawling through. To his horror, it opens above the narrow catwalk and the main turbine opening that he was at before that he refused to cross. He looks back, and the thing in the Stormtrooper helmet is still following him. Uh, in a moment of uh, frantically trying to figure out what to do, the following happens. He glanced back at the thing crawling toward him. It ducked his head and started crawling faster. That was when the helmet fell off. Trig blinked, momentarily undone by shock and dismay, so disorienting that he actually forgot where he was and what he was doing. In that second, he could only stare at the face that had been revealed under the helmet, his brother's ruined grin on one side, uh, and in, on one side and the entire other side of his face destroyed beyond recognition. The gleaming socket and smashed bone. And then he heard himself trying to speak, his voice rusty, scarcely a whisper. Kale? The thing looked at him and just kept coming. Kale, it's me. It's Trig. It showed no sign of hearing him. Trig could see the salivating now, the drool mixing with the runnels of blood dry to his face. He could hear it breathing, and the noise reminded him of a sound the air made as it whooshed through the, through the vent. This was too much. It wasn't happening, and if it was, then it meant he'd gone mad, in which case... It pounced forward, smashing him down against the vent at the very edge of the outflow lip. Trigg opened his mouth to say something and burst into tears. This time he let them come all the way, come out all they wanted. Tears and snot and sobs and bawling, and why not? What possible difference could any of it make now? Kale's mouth opened and closed, and Trigg could smell the death that was locked in there, the death that had been dealt to his brother, the death that his brother was about to deal to him. Kale wasn't going to answer him, and he wasn't going to stop. Trigg had loved his big brother more than anything else in the galaxy, and it didn't matter now. Kale? It gave a snarl and lowered its face to Trigg's neck, the teeth and tongue sweeping over his throat, dripping hot breath that smelled like some ghastly poisonous moss. Kale's hands felt both hot and cold at the same time, the dead flesh moist, sticky, and clutching. He'd climb on top of Trigg now, pressing down on him with his full weight. With a cry of pain, Trigg shoved him back, a white heart, hot spark of something he'd never felt before, went sizzling across the pit of his stomach and landed on his heart, and a light went out inside of him, following, followed by a dismal realization of what was about to happen. It was like a story he'd already heard, the ending written long before he ever got a chance to do anything about it. Look after your brother. Kale, I'm sorry. As Kale pushed on him again, more hungrily now, Trigg straightened his knee under his brother's torso and rammed it upward, momentarily lifting his brother's body off of him. Throwing Kale to the side, Trigg twisted around, grappled with his wrist, and levered his brother backward to the edge of the vent. Then he pushed him over. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. So he watches his brother fall silently into a sea of upturned faces. Uh, the faces below. Uh, suddenly, the things take notice and begin to scream. Um, so basically he, uh, he falls, Trig falls, uh, because they started shooting at him, <laughs> uh, and, um, he falls, hits the gangplank and almost falls off, but he's, 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 he gets his balance and he's on there. 
but then more of the things start coming through the vent. They had followed him through. And then one, uh, they had already started, a few of them fell, and then they had started uh, learning how to swing themselves over. And the one that learned how to do that happened to be none other than our miss. Back from the back from the dead. So our miss. Uh, oh well, I'm not gonna get ahead of myself, but it's our miss and it, and and it's it lands. Uh, so we move back to Zahara. She makes it to the hangar control. She tries to disable the tractor beam, but it, she finds that it's already been disabled. Uh, she then learns the project is called Blackwing. Which I'm realizing now. I didn't put a page on this. That's okay. It's right here. Uh, Imperial Bioweapons Project 171A, Galactic Virus Dissemination and Distribution Algorithm. Classified top secret, project status in progress. Um, distribution algorithm. She looked back at the bodies in the hangar, now packed so densely in many places that she couldn't even see the floor. Every few seconds, they released another version of that ringing rhythmic scream. And when she listened, she could hear the only other scream, the other scream reverberating back somewhere in the Star Destroyer. It made it them move only more urgently. But they weren't just milling around anymore. Uh, the corpses were climbing into different spacecraft. The X-Wings, the landing shuttles, and the transports. The freighter in the far core of the, the corner of the hangar. Still others were streaming back into the half-blasted docking shaft leading back down to the prison barge. Zahara saw that they were lugging something on their backs. She looked more closely. Black metal tanks. She glanced back at all the different vessels in the hangar, thinking about the distribution algorithm, a coordinated means by, the imp by which the Empire could spread the virus everywhere it wanted across the entire galaxy. Distractedly, she watched a group of the things line up alongside an X-Wing, working together to turn it around, pointing it up towards where she was standing. Uh, then it hit her. She spoke aloud without realizing it. They're leaving. Down below, the X-Wing was aimed straight up at her. What had the other 2B, 2-1B said about it being exposed up here? A blinding column of flame tore across the hangar, hurtling straight forward or, toward her. All right, so um, Han watches as Trig dangles helplessly. So Miss, our Miss falls. They do, there's a bit of a, a scuffle. Han and Chewie went up to the bridge uh, during this. There's a part that I'm, I'm not going to include, but there's, they run into more Wookiees up there and they realize that they're not going to be able to pilot it. So they come back down. Han and Chewie end up on the other side of the gangplank and they're watching this and he sees Trig. And our miss falls, they start scrapping, and then Trig gets him off, and they're hanging. And Trig is literally hanging onto the gangplank, and our miss is hanging onto his ankle with one of his hands. Uh, Trig cannot hang on, and he falls with the pit of faces uh, below him. This is falling in slow motion. Um, sorry, give me one second. From the moment his fingers finally slipped off 
Some part of Trigg felt nothing but pure weightless, weightless relief after everything that had happened just to give up and surrender himself to gravity in the void. As he fell, mist still clinging to his legs, he looked down at the screaming faces coming closer and felt the full intensity of their wrath swallowing him up. He remembered hoping that he'd be dead by the time he hit and guessed that prob that probably wouldn't happen either unless... And then something swoop swooped underneath him. He smashed into it, connecting with his right hip and shoulder and rolling backwards, arms and legs flopping with the leftover momentum. Sartorius, with the hover lifter thingy, swoops in and catches him before he hits the faces. Nice. Yep. Goes to pick up Han and Chewie, picks him up. He's like, wait a second. We're too heavy. Someone's got to go. Uh, he's like, yo, Han, Chewie, uh, can you guys pilot this thing? And they're too busy because the things were firing up from the pit now and they were getting more accurate. And uh, Han and Chewie were firing back. And he was like, Han was like, no, we're, we're busy. He's like, yo, Trig, you need to pilot this thing. Trig's like, I can't do it. He's like, you've got to. And he's like, what about you? And he shows him the bite. And he's like, there's no hope for me now. He's like, I need you to pilot this right now. So Trig gets behind there and he's like, all right. And he says, the last thing he says is he's like, I want you to know that your father was a good man, unlike me. And he jumps into the pit, releasing the weight. So then uh, they fly through and through the ship and arrive in the hangar. Um, and basically they arrive and see the hangar control center is like completely on fire. Like it's, it's been destroyed. Um, and it says the hangar wall was on fire through the smoke tree could see an army of the dead pouring through headed for the far end of the hangar. The X wing that had evidently attacked the wall was still pointed at it. It's laser cannons tilted up with random blocks of salvaged equipment. Trig glanced back over the flames had overtaking the west end of the hangar, obscuring everything in a wall of thick, oily smoke that smelled like burning copper wires and charred door steel. Where did Dr. Cody say she was? Because they had uh, comlinked her while they were on the way. Main hangar control, Han says, which is Han pointed directly into the flames. Trig pulled back on the stick, angling the lifter up into the choking black wall. Instantly, his eyes, nose, and throat stared, uh, started stinging tears streaming down his face. He could hear Han shouting at him, and Chewbacca let out a loud, angry roar that broke off in a burst of deep coughs. What are you doing, Han said. You want us to get it? You want to get us killed? He says, I'm not leaving her. If she's up there, she's already dead. Trigg brought the lifter down until he was staring through the flames into what was left of the main hangar command. Melted computers and consoles lie bubbling across the warp door still floor, floorboards like surreal nightmare of Imperial technology. She's not in there, he thought. She made it out. Maybe the thought snapped off cleanly in his mind. It was a small shape, dwarfed by the oblong slab of charred components that toppled over to crush it. Trigg took the slender hand, looked at the slender hand protruding outward from underneath the pile, remembered how it had looked, rest, remembering how it looked resting on his father's shoulder in the infirmary. He felt the last breath evaporate from his lungs, leaving him absolutely still. Trig, uh, so Han says that they have to go, and it says Trig opened his mouth to speak, but nothing came out. He turned the lifter away and down. In the final moments before leaving the Star Destroyer, Trig, saw, Trig Lungo saw things he'd never forget, no matter how much he wanted to. Later, when he tried to put the pieces together and make sense of it, the words weren't there, and he found himself sifting through the jumbled images, raw memories, and feelings that still frightened him as badly as they had when he first experiencing them. He first experienced them. 
he was still reeling with shock over what he'd seen up above. After losing Kale, he'd figured that his capacity for grief and pain had been exceeded, but the knowledge that Dr. Cody was gone too was almost more than he could stand. It left him grief-stricken and miserably nauseated, as though the, he might vomit up some small bitter piece of his own heart. Um, basically, they are completely in despair. They don't know what they're going to do, and they look down, and an Imperial transport is moving and running parallel with them, and uh, the doors open, and one of the Imperial people is like, yo, you guys need to come in. They fly the lifter up beside it, and they get in. Um, and uh, they get inside the transport. Uh, so then they realize as they're flying, so Han makes it up to the the cockpit and they realize as they're flying that the doors are opening and the ships are now leaving and it talks about han looks out at one of them and like the things were like crammed into one of the cockpit there's like way too many of them and like one of them was like licking the glass as they passed him in the the ship um let's see so they fly out Shuttle shot downward from the Star Destroyer's hangar, so they make it out. Um, he was Han was thinking about how sad he was that the doctor. He has this brief moment. He's like he's sad about her not making it. And uh, let's see. There's one more. There's one more quote that I had from this part. He started, there we go. He was starting to recalibrate the hyperspace navigation system when he first heard the screams. What's happening back there? There was a thump and Pauling came, one of the guys from the transport, came staggering back into the cockpit. Deep red arterial spray was jetting from the stunt where his arm had once been. His face had gone even paler, an even paler shade of gray, his mouth gopping open in amazement. Those things. Then his voice stopped. The screams in the back of the cabin were only getting louder, and Hans stared as Pauling did a weird wandering pirouette back in the, back around and flung his remaining arm in that direction, as if to tell Han about what was going on. Then something grabbed him and jerked him away. Han flicked the guiding systems on remote and groped instinctively for his blaster. What had he done with it? Laid it aside when he'd taken the throttle. But where had it gone? Standing up slowly, he peered around the corner. One of the things from the destroyer's hangar was standing in the cabin. It had removed his broken stormtrooper helmet to eat. How it had managed to get inside the shuttle before takeoff, Han didn't know, and it didn't matter. Its mouth was buried in Pauling's throat and was busily slurping his blood, ripping off huge goblets of his flesh. Han looked down and saw its white-booted foot planted on the chest of another Imperial soldier, Tanner, or what was left of him. Hans Tanner. Gray's... <laughs> not Tanner. Hans Gray oh, swept man. the cabin... On the other side, he saw Chewbacca and Trig crouched at the end of a row of seats, staring back at him. Han, Han mimed the word blaster, and both of them shook their heads. What am I supposed to do here? He said, I'm not the hero. How many more miracles do these people expect from me anyways? He stopped. The trooper thing was looking up at him and grinning. Strands of Pauling, uh, Pauling's flesh were dangling from his teeth. It lurched for him, arms outstretched, howling loud enough that inside the confines of the cabin, it made Han's ears ring. He tried to dodge backward into the cabin, but his foot caught on something. Pauling's severed arm. His legs went from out, out from under him, and he fell. The last thing he saw 
was the thing in Sewer Trooper uniform dropping on him with his full weight and then only darkness. But it's okay because a blaster goes off and kills the thing that was on top of him. And it's Dr. Cody. Nondesuke? So the person who had made it to the hangar was the trooper White, and he helped her get out, and when she asked him why, he said that someone else had done the same for him. And that was the one that Sartorius let go, and he allowed Dr. Cody to escape, and Dr. Cody saved Han's life, and they fixed everything up in the transport, and then basically they get away, and they fly off into the sunset. There's a lot of self-reflection and like closure uh, that happens at the end there. And there is a moment where Dr. Cody and Trigg do go and deliver the letter that she picked up towards the beginning of the book to the wife of the, the guard. But that is the end of the book. Fun, fun. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, Story. so who all, who all survived? Then it was it was Han, Chewie, the Doctor, Han, Chewie, Doctor Cody, Trig, um, and like maybe one or two of the Imperials in okay. the the shuttle. But I think that they were um, they were all dead. Fun. So, yeah, not very many of them survive. So here's another fun fact. Um, Dr. Cody and Trig both appear later in the MMORPG Star Wars Galaxies. And because they go off and they like start traveling together, basically. They like form their own little family. And they appear later in the game. And there is an arc where Blackwing resurges on Dathomir. The Empire tries to restart the program on Dathomir, and Dr. Cody and Trigg are there, and they're trying to stop it. And Trigg is like, I don't know, in his like 30s, like mid-20s or 30s. And so the uh, image of Dr. Cody that I had earlier, that like really low poly, that is from the game. The game, yeah. Which is interesting that the Thrawn thing they're going yeah. to here. So in the game, it's more stormtroopers and apparently some of the witches of Dathomir become zombies, but it's like a side thing in the game that, that you do. So not- So Trig and the Doctor like do they become a couple eventually? No, that, no, 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 no. I, I thought they, it was weird that he has a crush on her. And no, then they, he, they, no. You said no, they no, start no, no. a family together? That's what oh, you like said? They're, they're no, no, no. They form crew. a family. Oh. They're like, they're like, it's like a mom and a, and a son. Or maybe oh. they are together. I don't, well, I don't know. It's like the Sandlot. He's 30 now. The kid marries the, the, the lifeguard. Yeah. And she's like way older than him. And they're in the movie but age yeah. is only a number when you're older okay, anyway when you're, old, when you're old not 13 not uh, uh dr cody survived because uh one of the troopers white from the transport got in there 
and got her out before the X-Wing fired on her and said that Sartorius did that for him, so he's going to do that for someone else, and he was the hand that you see because he was malnourished. That's for the chat. Uh, but yeah, there's Death Troopers. Hopefully um, it wasn't too long for everyone, but that's the full story in detail. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Thank you for all your hard work putting that together. Yep. And if you feel like you missed something, go read it. Yeah, just go read the book. There's there's still a lot. Like you'll know the story, but there's still a lot of context and subtle detail that I there's no way I could convey. And the audio book is only like six hours, so And we yeah. gave you four of it, so Yep. You only got two hours left. <laughs> There you go. So, well, that being said, let's transition over to everyone's favorite time of every episode, voicemail time. It's voicemail time. All right, all right. So we have five voicemails. So let's get through these pretty quick because it's, Way past my bedtime. But first one up, you know him, you love him. We had him on the podcast last week. Will, let's take a listen. Hey, Empire Radio. Will here. Man, was it fun being on the podcast. But I shall go back to voicemails. And now this one. This one could get controversial for a lot of people. Uh, yeah, as if I haven't stirred up enough controversy already. <laughs> what is your favorite Halloween candy? And why is it not candy corn? Alright, Will, thank you for that. First of all, I love I like candy corn. I like candy corn. I What you do? Yeah. Dude, I, I have always been the only person in all of the people that I know that likes candy corn. I get a, I get at least one bag every year, and over the course of a few weeks, like I just snack on it. Maybe you like the little and, pumpkin ones, though? Yes. I get the I get the variety bag with the ones that are brown, too. Uh, I, I can't eat... Look, I can't eat a lot at a time because it makes me right. sick. <laughs> but like a handful... As it should there, make you sick. <laughs> yeah, like a handful... Like a small handful here and there or something. Like, I, dude, it, it hits the spot. It really does. But it's not my favorite. But I love I, it. I think for most people, when it comes to Halloween candy, it's always something chocolate. Whether it's like dude, a Snickers, Milky Way, Kit Kat. Reese's Ghosts. The, with the oh. ones with the white chocolate on the outside. Reese's oh. Ghosts. I know a lot of people are like, the pumpkins are the best ones. But for I me personally. say, the pumpkins are the best ones. <laughs> for me personally, I see those ghosts. I will grab a bag of those. I actually had a conversation with Tanner about this. He loves them too. I'll grab a bag of those that are like the individually wrapped ones and I will eat the entire thing by myself. And I, this is going to sound really disgusting, but if someone doesn't stop me, there's a strong possibility I could go through an entire bag in one sitting. Like I'm, I love them that much. I've not done it, by the way. But I mean, you could count it as a breakfast. The desire is there, though. All the no, day. no. So, so you like the the white peanut butter ghosts? Is that better yeah. or worse than the peanut butter Easter eggs that you like? 
The shapes are so much. They're so the sh- It's the shapes. The yeah, it's the shapes. Hands on the football. Well, which ones do you like better? Good. The ghosts. The ghosts are my favorite. Oh, dang. Because you were talking up those eggs for like Easter eggs for a long time. Yeah, the ghosts are my favorite. All right, Drew, what is your answer for favorite Halloween candy? The pumpkins. Reese's. Okay. Pumpkins. Any shape Reese's for any holiday. Holiday, it's the, the Christmas the best. tree, dude. I don't know what it is, but it tastes so much better than just a normal Reese's. The cup. Stupid roundness. Reese's just needs to give it up. And just do There's shapes. Oh, no shapes. Like in the summer, give us a a sun. Like anything. I had one. I had one that was um, it was like green. It was like uh, black and green for Halloween. The, it's the the. It, like I think it was a cup. Apple. No. The, yes. It's supposed the to one look that like I have. The apple. one that I had was regular chocolate, though. No, it is regular. It's just supposed to look like a caramel. Oh apple. yeah, it was good. It was good, but it's still a cup, though. It's not the same. And the Grand it's Admiral good. has made an appearance. Well, for you, we haven't seen them yet. Cheeto. What about you? Just anything chocolate. Anymore? Anything chocolate. Mm-hmm. I think. Um. Something that I like in my mom, which is my mom's favorite candy, are Smarties. Oh, there's that's a sleeper Ooh, candy. Oh, Kaya loves Smarties. Smarties are good, but most candy is is good. I just don't like anything with like coconut in it, or I don't like stuff like that. But I had a hundred gram for the the other day. Yeah, I haven't had one of those in a long time. I couldn't even uh, tell you last time either. I had one of those. But that's the one question from Will. It wasn't as controversial other than you like you don't like candy corn and we do. So it's not that I, I literally like thought, it. Jeremiah, you were gonna be like, Oh, it's disgusting. I hate it. It's not that I no. wanna crave like you guys. It's just like, oh, candy corn. Candy candy corn uh definitely is one of those things where I like I have it once a year around Halloween and then I am good for the rest of the year. So have you already uh, had yours yet? Yeah. Oh. Do you tell oh, yeah. me if six months from now I send you a bag of candy corn, you're not gonna eat it? It's not gonna let it go to waste. <laughs> I'm not yeah, I won't <laughs> let it go to waste. All right. All right. Thank you, Will, for that question. Next up, next three that we have are from our good friend Addie. Hey. Um, first one, uh, just to clarify because she doesn't really specify in it, but it's a re- reference to a question that we had last time she sent one in, which was whatever happened to her Star Wars fan film that she was going to make because it was supposed to happen this year, but then she was doing the stuff with Lucy. So we asked about that. So this is her response to that question. Hi, Radio. It's Addie back again with another voicemail. Sorry, it's Stop. been, yeah, three weeks, I think, around that since I sent in a voicemail. Life's been lifey. And I need a few weeks to ponder your question. But now, I think I know how to answer it. The sugar-coated answer is, I don't know. Yes, that's the simple answer. But the more complicated one is, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be continuing it. Mm. I mean, I took a break for the VCU novel, And right now, I'm in a season of my life where I don't really see myself continuing it. But who knows? Maybe I'll finish it. Maybe I won't. Um, 
or I'll just turn it into an audio drama on my podcast. Anyway, I'm running out of time. Hope you have an awesome day, and may the force be with you. Bye! Alright, thank you, Eddie. It's unfortunate that that project is maybe so, never going to happen. Explain to me, what what are what is this? She, she wrote a Star Wars like fan film, and she was going to like oh. film it. But then she did the VCU sequel stuff with Lucy. I got you. I and got it kind of got put on hold and seems like she might not get to it. But that's okay. I would love to hear it eventually or see it eventually. But if you don't get to it, that's totally fine. Listen, you don't need a, a super special camera. I come with, with that message and the fact that the movie The Creator with from Gareth Edwards, the, the most recent like sci-fi movie he did, that's when? his brushing his cat. I know, Jeremiah. Just let it be. That and like... <laughs> All right, continue. What, yeah. I, what I'm trying to say is that movie, Gareth Edwards for freaking Rogue One, by, by the yeah. way. Is, yeah. yeah. He shot that film on a $3,800 or like a $3,200 like prosumer camera you can buy at Best Buy. Uh, an IMAX movie. So for those of you out there like, oh man, I need gear. and stuff. No, you don't. Just get a freaking iPhone or a Google Pixel or something. Just go film it. Just go film it. Don't worry. But always remember to brush your cat. Yep. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Eddie, for that first one. But you have another one for us. So let's take a listen. Hey, Power Radio. I'm here with a second voicemail because, you know, I need to start saying the men. So I'm going to start getting into the habit of it. Um, I have a question for you guys. Uh, since Halloween is coming up next week, uh, what is your favorite, like, spooky movie? Like, Ooh. there's a bunch of different horror movies or just stuff like that. Um, me, personally, I enjoy the Tim Burton stop-motion movies, such as The Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas. And before you say, The Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie, it is not. It's both. The people have done the research. It was released in October. So, yeah. But anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Have an awesome day. And may the force be with you. Bye. All right. Thank you, Eddie. That is a good question. I will say that as when the the calendar flips to October 1st, Christmas stuff is on the table. So just because it was released in October does not mean it can't be a Christmas movie. That's true. Um, but well, that's aggressive. favorite spooky movie. Um, I mentioned this in the Discord like a week or two ago that I technically I don't think I've ever seen a like horror movie or a scary movie in a sense like what are kind of classified categorically as. That doesn't necessarily surprise me though. So like I can't yeah. I don't know how well, to answer that question. I think the best answer I can give is the only close to scary movies I've seen was. A Quiet Place 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. Which are I mean, great. Both are very yeah. great. Um, I just actually just watched the second one this past weekend for the first time. And yeah. thought it was very well written. I love the poetry of that movie. But Yeah, they're fantastic. But you guys, what would you say is your favorite spooky, scary um, horror? Man, I don't know. Really I, I I was actually thinking about the Nightmare Before Christmas yeah, when she said that, because like it is it is one of my one of my favorite movies, uh, <laughs> holiday movies. 
Um, I'm trying to think. Like a lot of the, so like a lot of the classics, honestly, are not good. They're they're not great. Like, like I I've recently binged most of the Friday the Thirteenth movies recently because they were well because it was Friday the Thirteenth in October. I was like I've never seen them, and uh, definitely not definitely not for children. Um, but like the first one kind of it kind of sucks really bad like <laughs> like the cinematography is not great and like this the same thing with the with the halloween movies i've not seen um night uh nightmare on elm street with freddy krueger i've not seen any of the chucky movies like i'm still kind of a, a horror movie newbie you're, um, you're the new it it okay the new the one. two it's are really good I like the first one. The second movie I thought was I because it wasn't scary. <laughs> like it I wasn't liked, scary, dude. There was uh, definitely some scary parts in that. Uh, the first one was really good, and I liked it because. But it gets to the point in that movie when the kids aren't scared anymore. Therefore, oh, yeah. you're not scared. Okay, anymore. that is true. That is true. That is true. Yeah, like it has that effect where you're like scared because they are scared, and then in the middle of the movie they realize that like they aren't scared anymore and then you're not scared anymore because of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would, I would say there, there's very few things that can beat the nightmare before Christmas in terms of like wholesomeness and the yeah. music and there's just the sheer artistry behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, get I out's know. a good movie. Yeah, but it's like get out and, uh, Us. Uh, us and nope um nope yes yes all of those movies are are fantastic but I've like i've never actually seen nope yet. they're not they're not like spooky you know what i'm saying uh, like they're they're like part no no but like when you think of halloween you're thinking oh, of like sure, sure. i don't know it's like something like more paranormal or like something that's more classic halloween like a slasher movie like literally like the, the halloween movies I, seen I don't know. Those. I've not seen the Chucky series. I just know that uh, Mark Hamill played Chucky in one of the movies. He did the voice. He did. Oh, in the in like the newest one, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, I had, but I didn't know that. But yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely love Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, the Lego Star Wars Halloween special was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't know. For me, it's kind of like. Like, I watched, like, the first Scream, or, like, some of it. Like, my I've heard that had, was all right. My cousin had a, uh, what's it called? He had a birthday party at a movie theater, and the first movie was, like, a host of movie, and then, like, after that, he it was, like, a scary movie because he's, like, into them, yeah. and it was, like, the original Scream. Hmm. And, like, he likes it because it's, like, super classic horror yeah like well done but then it's super cheesy and like kind of predictable yeah and he it's just like the art of it but for me i'm like this is stupid i guess i can't i really i left in the middle of it i was like i can't bro this is yeah it's not my we've, thing we've gotten used to like horror now where the characters are really competent for the most part mm-hmm. like in a quiet place like they're really smart competent people but it's like if you go back and watch some of these classic horror movies, I, literally you're like, "How in the heck are these people dead?" 
Like yeah. a, a, a well-prepared child could probably get around some of this, you know, but the one that comes to mind that I remember watching when I probably shouldn't, and I'm not telling any of you guys that are young listening to watch it, but what was it? I think it's called. Doesn't remember. The, it's the girl that gets adopted. I forget. Orphan. Orphan. Yeah. That movie was freaking as crap. Yeah. I haven't seen that. (laughs) And I'm yeah. not I'm not super big into but yeah, horror it's movies. It's not really my thing. So yeah, I remember for Christmas. All right. But I should see a quiet place. I haven't seen those. You haven't? What? Dude. Bro. Dude, they're so okay. They're, they're just good top tier. But you are tense. Like you're just, oh yeah. You, you, oh, that's what I like. I like the tense stuff, but not like the because it's stuff. it's stressed, dude. I was watching the second one; it was stressing me out. I had to pause like every like ten minutes because, like, yeah, dude, those where, movies. Where did you watch those movies? Where they mess with your head. Uh, Paramount Plus. Both of them are. Ah, oh, I have it. Yeah, Paramount. I have yeah, a few trial right now, so I have it. Yeah. Like, it. It's cool that I had a free trial. And I was like, I just want to watch it for one movie, and then I went to go cancel it. And they're like, hey, we'll give you two free months if you stay. Perfect. All right. <laughs> so. Paramount Plus has both quiet places on there. Well, and I think you can watch some football games on there. I don't care about football. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was like, dude, why are you even saying that? I don't know. All uh, right. I do want to see the uh, Five Nights at Freddy's movie that just came out. Or yeah, is coming out tomorrow. Just because that game is super cool. I like playing like scary games more than... You know it's rated PG-13, right? I know. But my nephew wants to go, so I'll probably take him. But like for me, it's like I, I like playing yeah, scary that's, games. That's the excuse you're going to use to go see it? Yes. <laughs> my nephew wants to go. I'm a good uncle. <laughs> yes. I like playing scary games, though. Like Five Nights at Freddy's is a fun, <laughs> suspenseful game that's not like horror or anything like that. All so, right. But, yeah. Cool, cool. Thank you, Eddie. And one more from Eddie with a really good question that I think – is a really good question. So another four hours, probably. Let's take a listen. Hello, Empire Radio. Yes, this is the third voicemail, mainly hey, because yo. I thought of something else I wanted to say. Um, it's another question. Um, the other day I saw this video on Pinterest by this amazingly talented girl. I forgot her name, but she did a Clone Wars musical like edit or like little short video of when Ahsoka left the Order, which I am absolutely in love with. But um, my question is, if you had to pick any movie or show to be turned into a musical, what would it be and why? Personally, I think, like, um, Episode 5 or Episode 8 would be really cool. Or Star Wars Rebels. Just, like, we need a song between the banter between Ezra and Chopper. That would be the most glorious thing in the world. But yeah, let me know what you think. Have an awesome day. Bye. All right. Thank you, Eddie. So the question is, what Star Wars content would you want to be turned into a musical? I have a somewhat controversial opinion. Oh. I really do not like musicals. I hate you. Get out. Where's my button? Get out. Why? Get out. Get out. So it's, it's super ironic because I'm a musician, but... If there's something about it that's like music 
doesn't fit here. There's something about it for me that's like, why in God's name are you singing right now when you're not supposed to be singing? Like it's, I think it's like the setting of it. I, I, I will tell you this. I love, and I mean love Phantom of the Opera. Like, what are you laughing about that for? Because that's like that's a musical. But a like, musical. but like, I I don't like. I really there's a lot of them that I I really don't like because I'm like a lot of them feel like especially the movie adaptations are like you you did the musical and you just built the movie around it and it's like it's just dialogue to get from one musical number to the next. I will say that the, a musical rendition of Ahsoka leaving the order with like a ballad would be sick. Like I would be all for that because of the emotion that it would convey. But like, I don't know, dude, I, I think it would be great for a lot of star Wars stuff. to turn into a musical. Like I think if they, cause there's two ways you could, you could do it more like, like an animated show where it's like, like, cause the animation shows are comical a lot. Like, just, so you can make it like a light hard musical. I'm saying that's one option you could do. I'm not yeah. saying that's what I want. Or you could go complete drama on it. And I think that would be, Having I think you could do Christensen sing to Padme about but I'm sand like, like, would be awesome. I'm just saying like you take like the drama, like musicals that are like huge dramas, like Les Mis. Like, oh, yeah. Like, so good. Like you can make a super serious thing really good with a a really good musical yeah, presentation. Yeah. It's and funny because I used to really like them. What changed? What, what changed? No, they just make annoy me now. It's dude, Les Mis is so good, dude. I like I like Les Mis. Have you ever like, seen I, a musical like a like a real like, yes, like a Broadway I've, musical? I've, yes, like I went to. Uh, Did you see Wicked? Did you see Wicked? No, I've seen Wicked. Oh, Wicked's so good. I did saw, you see it with Adina Menzel? I wish. I saw my wife did in high school. Okay, weird. I saw it in 2006, so that would have been one of the original like cast or whatever. I don't know, but I don't know. Like I, d- d- here's the thing: I respect the heck out of people that do them because it takes like it takes serious talent. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I you can't not acknowledge that and acknowledge the artistry that goes into it like especially when you're taking something from the stage and adapting it to the movie like i thought the lay miz with like russell crowe and hugh jackman the singing was all right but i i thought the sets were beautiful like i i acknowledge the skill all right i just i'm just like what about like there's something the about it that I'm showman? like, just talk, just freaking, just do the dialogue. Like, I don't know. you don't like the Greatest Showman? I've never seen it. Oh, what? I I taught guitar students songs from that musical. Oh, and I've still not seen it. <laughs> Their main song in that it sounds like Ocean so much and <laughs> it bothers me sometimes. But. Oh, you talking about the one "Be Myself" or whatever? Yeah, or yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be me. Yeah, that was the one that people wanted to learn. I and I'm like I'm sorry. I I'm I just, just surprised. I thought you'd be more into. No. Well, it's kind of like me. Like I can't listen. I have a hard time listening to classical music. I can't listen I to film it. scores for fun. I can't either, except for Interstellar. And what? sometimes Star Wars, but I I just can't. I, listen I, to it. I I don't like listening to Star Wars out of context. Really? 
Yes, because I because I he, it's it's the I music is made. Yeah, it, the music is made to fit with with scenes, and for me, I I can I get distracted by the all of the ebbs and flows and like knowing yep. what's supposed to be happening. Yep. It feels like something's missing for me. For me, it's that, and then it's also like if I watch it, like I would love, like I love watching it. Yeah, I understand it. Like I was in band forever. Like I understand yeah. what it takes to make it, but listening to it, there's something that triggers me that bothers me. Though, like I want to like see something. Like so I want to be able to like. I see. I saw uh, Empire mm -hmm. with the Minnesota Orchestra. Mm -hmm. One of the best experiences of my entire life. Yeah, like literally, literally having the orchestra there. And watching it with the movie is insane. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know. There's something about it. Like Interstellar to me, the, one of the reasons why I can listen to that is because a lot of it is really repetitive. Whereas with a film score, like like if you go listen to a lot of Star Wars music, there's like very distinct, like we're building and, and then it crashes yeah. and then it might not do anything for a bit and then it builds again and it's like... yeah. It, it doesn't mean we don't appreciate it, Jeremiah. No, More, yeah, it's like a, it's just hard. It is. We we've had specific podcast episodes about yeah, music, it and it's never cool. once did you guys mention this. So this is why it's a shock to me. Oh no, I, well, I just see. Can't. So here's like the thing: my wife doesn't listen to like straight up like orchestra stuff, and she'll just listen to it and read, and then like certain songs remind nah. her of books. Dude, like, even, like, I even remember, like, oh, I can't I even remember that. when Micaiah was on the podcast. Yeah. She said that she would listen to Star Wars music while studying. Yeah, yeah I couldn't I, do it. I could never do that. I can't do it. I get too distracted. When I, I like, get too distracted with just listening to music half the time studying. I like, I can't listen to music with any lyrics. I can't, yep. when I'm, when I'm doing, when I'm actively doing something like mentally. Yep. Uh, if I'm in the car or I'm like walking down the street or like I'm on a plane or something, dude, I listen to music with lyrics all the time. But yeah. like when I'm working, can't do it. Get too distracted. And, so I th and, and I think that's the other reason because orchestral music engages the musical part of my brain. So like I begin to think about it. I think it's one of the other things too. It's Me like too. I, there's so much in there that I can listen to and appreciate that a lot. It, you're, in, you're honestly, it's distracting. Too. Like you're like, Oh, yeah. this is this instrument. This is doing this. This is, yeah. These people are coming in now. And that, that's the same with like going to sleep. I could never listen to music and go to sleep. Cause I will play the drum beat until it's, I listen to music going to sleep every night. I can't, there's no way. There's no way I can listen. To I like, have a playlist of acoustic and piano, soft oh, piano renditions of no Minecraft way. music. Animal Crossing music, Zelda music. It's the best. I feel like that's the same as orchestra. No. See, it's, but it's a, it's a single instrument versus an entire... But the guitar dude, doesn't make you want to think about how do you play it? Yeah, and it makes me go to sleep. Oh, no. Let's see that. Listen, that make me here, here's, the, here's the thing. I, during high school, for years, went to sleep listening to metal. Oh, I couldn't. I, no joke, because I get caught up when I'm laying in bed with really engaging the music with the music mentally, and it and it knocks me out. See, if I'm, I'm already tired. Scared. It's like I if I hear especially like metal or any like songs that have like technical drumming. Yeah, I'm trying to break it down and figure out how to do it in my head, and I'll just stay up all night. 
Yeah. I can listen to books, people talking. No. Because then it See, knocks speaking, me out. I'm out. Oh, see, instrumental, I'm out. instrumental music is fair game. The second someone starts singing and you're speaking, there's a part Ooh, of my brain no. that's like, I want to no. listen to what they're saying. No, I. that's why I fall asleep to watching like before Miles. We, Me and Steph used to fall asleep watching like Big Bang or stuff like that. Oh, God. We could literally just like listen to it and then yeah. it's just people talking, background noise, and then yeah. we just fall asleep. Like last time Miles slept over in my parents' house, we turned on Big Bang Theory and just had it on. We just fell asleep. Yeah, I'm just weird, I guess. My no, wife, I mean, Micaiah, like Micaiah loves musicals and she always, she always has, but she was in theater in high school and stuff. And so I, I and, love musicals. And again, like Rent is one of my favorite movies heck. of all time. Yeah, I respect the heck out of musicals and that will never change. It's just not my cup of tea. And Frozen? Oh, come on. Oh, no, Frozen sucks. Okay, whoa. But on that note, listen. That's the hottest thing. Book of Boba Fett musical. That's what I would pick. Ooh, that'd be cool. Because there'd be some sick Western moments in that. Facts, and I would would be okay with him taking off his helmet as much as he did. Because he couldn't sing with the helmet. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That would fix it. There there it is, Andrew. That's how you fix that show. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Eddie, for your three voicemails. Uh, we got one left for tonight uh, from our favorite pod racer who's on the run from Jabba oh. the Hutt Stop. at the moment. So let's take a listen. And this is a question that I can't answer, but you guys might have a lot of fun with this one. Hey, Empire Radio. It's Garrett. Quick update. I'm still in hyperspace. You know, they never really show or say how long it takes to travel halfway across the galaxy, even through hyperspace. I guess it was slightly portrayed in Ahsoka with both parties traveling through hyperspace for a whole episode. Anyway, what's your favorite car or car brand? Mine is Koenigsegg. They are absolutely flooring the hypercar market right now. Their newest car, the Gamera, which sounds a lot like Chimera, has two versions. One with 1,800 horsepower and the other with 2,300 horsepower. All thanks to one guy who said, hey... I wonder if our twin-turbo V8 can fit in the Gamera along with the electrical motors. And it did. It's crazy what you can accomplish by asking seemingly ridiculous questions. Anywho, see you guys next week. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Hey, yo. So what are you guys' favorite vehicles? Skyline. Nissan Skyline GTR R34. All right, Drew, what's your favorite vehicle? (laughs) You would pick a Skyline. Dude, I, I, oh, it's it's Japanese. It's iconic. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not talking about the one from Too Fast and Too, Fur- Too Fast and yeah, Furious. But like, are. if if no, 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 I actually don't like the paint job on that one. Okay. But dude, there's there's so much potential. The body kits they have for the thing are sick. Like illegal. It's a right really cool. Well, that's it's because actually, it's in America is not illegal next year. Yeah, they're 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 removing it. But dude, if I could, that would it would be either that or like some sort of an Aston Martin, but. I don't know. I, I love a sports car that I would. That's like my dream sports car. Yeah, is a Dodge Viper. Really? Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's I, pretty smooth. I it's love a smooth car. I love the look of it. There's like the dealership up the road. The owner of the dealership has one, and every once in a while I'll see it drive. He'll drive it, and I'm like, dude, you don't see them on er, anywhere. Like you don't see those cars anymore. I so fun fact, there was one I literally walked by one 
on the in street. LA? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you see all I've the only cars and no, I've there. only seen one. That's what I'm I saying. See, I see Lambos all the time, G wagons, yeah. Ferraris. Like, well, you see G wagons here all the time now. I yeah, like. but like freaking, I've only seen one Viper. I'm ever. telling you, that's why they're cool. Yeah. Or like a Porsche 911 would be really cool. I would like that. But, and then besides that, my practical dream car would be a Wrangler. Mine would be like a, a Hyundai super. Ionic 5. Oh, really? Electric, baby. Mm. That's a Hyundai. Electric vehicles are not good. <laughs> well, okay. I like Tesla. This is me. I can't get behind Tesla because of Elon. Well, that's... that's I can't get behind um, of behind electric cars because of the cobalt mining. That's That's fair. I can support that. It's it's a Thrawn, lesser of two evils situation at this point. I don't know if everything. It is, if you actually look into it, of <laughs> the they, I, mean, I mean, we either continue to destroy our climate, but are we not by? They don't disintegrate. Yeah, but we're, but you still got to burn coal a lot to make electricity, so. It's actually they they actually done the research on it. Teslas actually are worse for the environment. Yeah, electric vehicles electric cause power. more damage to the environment than. Well, here's the gas. thing. I'm not talking about a Tesla. Well, I'm just saying well, electric, electric vehicles. Vehicle. It's the same thing. If you actually there's, really look into it, it's actually not actually more. There's it's, a study that's going to say that, and there's going to be another study that's going to oh, say yeah, the opposite, the and then there's going to be another study that's going to say. Uh, I think I'm also really tired of paying for gas. That would be the only thing that would push me. Seventy's brother has a the, Tesla. The charging is included in our rent, whereas I have to pay like seven dollars a gallon here. Yeah, that's true. I I couldn't so. live in L.A. I burn so much gas. I drive two hours every day. I mean, to be fair, the amount of times I have to drive is like. Well, yeah, you guys don't twice go anywhere. Like, yeah, we don't. Deal. And when we do, we just walk. We walk yeah. everywhere. So, but Teslas are fun because zero to sixty in three point four seconds. You can feel your your heart go through the back of your body. Pretty dope. I love it. It's awesome. All right, cool. Well, that's the end of the episode. So let's go over Jeremiah's some social like, media. I have so much to edit. Yeah, this is gonna probably not come out till Sunday. But <laughs> jeez. Um. If you want to connect with Empire Radio, go click the link in the description. Links.co slash Empire Radio. Link spelled with two I's. Landing page for everything. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, Discord link. Leave a voicemail. Fan email. The link to Needlessly Nerdy Entertainment Network. Um, that is a great place if you want to get connected with all kinds of nerdy content. Uh, yeah. So come join us and hang out with us on the interwebs, however you'd like. Uh, next week, I'm excited for next week. We got a fun interview. I think it's going to be a good interview with Grace from Gals underscore of the Galaxy on Instagram. And that's going to be a great interview. So go check her out. Uh, but that is it. Let us know what book you want Andrew to do next. That was the biggest thing in the chat tonight was they want Andrew to keep doing books. So. Uh, 
this is taking this way thing. too long. This is the longest episode we've ever done. And they loved it. So if you and guys loved I, it, make sure you guys give this video this a thumbs take, up. I have no idea when I'm going to get this episode edited. <laughs> That's fine. Either so, way, let us know what book you guys want Andrew to do next. Well, he's probably going to do, what, three week months of Lost Stars. Luke, EU Luke. So Yeah, it'll it'll probably be two two or three episodes depending on how i break it oh, down well there you go that's what's so it's gonna that's be a while. But I, i'm not gonna lie i there's a part of me that would rather do there's a lot of good books like red them. harvest well mckay says bedtime stories with andrew that sounds about right <laughs> so uh anything else boys before we get out of here anything did that mean that it was boring to you it wasn't boring just that it's one o'clock in the morning for me and i have to go to bed well actually it's 1252. Well, you've been listening to another Halloween Tastic episode of Empire Radio. I'm Jeremiah. I'm Andrew. I'm Drew. And may the force be with you. Always. Always. <laughs>